Daenerys will win this war. You're a military man. You must know there's no way around that. Daenerys is not her father. She's even willing to suspend the hostilities if Cersei agrees to certain terms. You want Cersei to bend the knee, you can ask her yourself. I, I don't. Daenerys doesn't. Not right now, anyway. She has a more important request. When you play the game of microphones, you win or you die. From within the House of Black and White, it's Sir Duncan and Lady Rachel. Good morrow, freezing fire god worshippers and toasted tarleys, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the harbinger of winter. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the interviewed. (laughs) And this is episode 107. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch. And in case you're not already aware, this series Rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through Season 7. If not, there's still time to take a massive Warhammer to the face so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Ouch. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> Gendry is so gangsta. I know. Gendry! What up, Gendry? Right? He's back. He's back. That's actually my number five. Perfect. Jump right into it. <laughs> nice. I just love Davos. Yes. I wasn't sure I'd find you. Thought you might still be rowing. <laughs> oh, I know, right? I love that meta joke because that was the meta, joke for yeah. like all the years that he was missing. Like, oh, he's got to still be out there rowing. Pictures of him online with, like, massive arms from rowing the whole time and stuff. Yeah, the second they started showing, I mean, like, Davos is in King's Landing, and then they started showing um, blacksmithing going on. I knew Gendry was coming into the, the, back into the fold. So, um, you know, Gendry kind of turns around and smiles at him, and Davos, what a dumbass. (laughs) What a dumbass, why? <laughs> because he's like looking everywhere but the oh, street of steel. Right, right, right. Yeah, I know. I remember watching this the first time, like you said, we're seeing like hammers coming down, smacking, blacksmithing going on. We're seeing all this armor stacked up everywhere. And I was like, oh, I know where Davos is going. Yeah, so I figured so he would sick. go there first, you know. <laughs> yeah. But no, would, he's going to sense. shops, taverns, and brothels. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. And... <laughs> Davos has some great lines in this and Gendry asks him, he's like, aren't you worried about the gold cloaks? Like seeing you, you know, like really shouldn't be here. Right. You're just walking around out in the open. He's like, dude, I haven't been here in like a decade. You know, they, they wouldn't recognize me. Sometimes I hardly do. Yeah, Right. Look in the mirror. Don't even recognize yourself. (laughs) Nothing fucks you harder than time. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Oh, Classic. Davos is smart yeah. about this stuff too. Like he knows that sometimes the best place to hide is in plain sight. Like when you're not expected, 
type, type yeah. thing. Yeah. And so he asks, you know, did, did you get any trouble? Like when he came back and he goes, no, you know, here I am. I'm arming Lannisters. Yeah. I never get a second look. The safest place was right under the queen's nose. Right. Just like you said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hilarious. And Davos has a good point here. He goes, you know, safety is never a permanent state of affairs. Yeah, I love that line. Bad things are coming. Uh, and it, it, it reminded me of like winter is coming. Yeah, you know, exactly. He he's like, say that. he's not a Stark, so he wouldn't necessarily have that phrase coming. But he knows about the undead army. And I like this, too, because he's here to like give Gendry a heads up on what's going on and give him an opportunity to get out of here. And it's like uh, he couldn't save Shireen. But he saved Gendry once and he's ready to like try to make another go at it to make sure he's protected and prepared for the bad things that are coming. So it's sort of like another a way that he can redeem himself for failing Shireen is to save the, the another Baratheon, at least a bastard that's still alive, right? Yeah. the I mean, the only Baratheon left yeah. on this planet that we know of. So Gendry's like... So I want to come with you. You came to get me. Let's let's go. And Davos is like, well, wait, wait. I think you kind of need to understand something. You really need to know what we're heading into. He goes, don't you think I've been thinking about it with every swing of the hammer? So Robert's son, every when he said every swing of the hammer, I was like, oh, man, like such a yeah, because he did the war or Robert wielded the war hammer. Yeah. So, you know, he's like, I am really not super content making weapons for the family that killed my father. Yeah. You know, and the family that tried to kill me basically. Totally. And so he just basically tosses his tools off to the side. He takes his apron off and he picks up like a man bag, a satchel. (laughs) (laughs) Immerse. And he goes, I've been getting ready. I never knew what for, but I've always known I'd know when it comes. Oh man. That's such an epic quote. Yeah. It's like, he's, he knows that he has a purpose to serve. Right. There's like destiny is calling him. He doesn't understand what it's saying yet, but he, he hears the call and he's getting ready to, 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 you know, take his, his hero's journey. Yeah. And so Davos is like, you really need to bring one of these swords. And he's like, uh, nope, don't know much about swinging swords, but this. And he pulls out this giant war hammer. I was like, oh my God. I know. I saw this coming a mile away too. I was like waiting for it, you know? Yeah. And I think it's because, you know, Malisandre was the one that kind of told Gendry that he's Robert Baratheon's bastard. And so I think he did it on purpose. Like he purposely forged this war hammer kind of in like homage to his father. Yeah. It does have a Baratheon like stag stag antlers mm-hmm. on it as well. Um, I think that it was just, it was like, it felt natural and right for him. He started like feeling a kinship with his father after learning the truth. Probably that's one of the reasons. Cause he, his father was notorious for swinging a hammer and, and here he is growing up in a the street of steel, a blacksmith. Right. So it just felt so natural for him. I bet that, you know, it didn't even take much thought. He was like, yep, going to craft a war hammer. <laughs> yeah. He, he actually kind of, alludes to that he says this this i know yeah exactly that's all he does all day long is swing a hammer i loved how he was so ready to go just like right off the bat too it 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 was sort of uh it felt like like a sort of meta um meta enthusiasm whereas like the actor who plays gendry you know he was he was on the show for season two 
the end, like a little bit of season three, maybe. And then he's gone for all these years. And now it, when things are getting really crazy, he gets the opportunity to come back on the show, you know? So the actor's just sitting there on ice knowing that he's his like, character's out there. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, I'm ready to go. Let's I'm ready. Yeah. And then next episode, when they make him run all that distance, I feel oh, like damn. that's like, like hazing, like, Oh, we, we, we shot this show 200 days a year for years leading up to this point we we earned it. You, you want to join the crew now at this point, late in the game, you're going to run. We're going you know, to make you earn <laughs> your spot on the team. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. I love that. Yeah. Hilarious. So, um, that was all of my number five. All right. But we could continue because I guess there's more of Gendry and Davos. They go back to the boat. Oh, right. Yeah, we can talk about that part, too. And um, my my number two, I think, is uh, when Gendry meets Jon Snow. So we can stop before that part and continue that when we get to number twos or whatever. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So then we cut back down to the beach and... um. Gendry, you know, lays his hammer into the boat. Yes. And Davos. That thing is monstrous, too. It's so fucking big. It's huge. Oh. It's heavy. It looks really heavy. Yeah, it does. A lot of inertia when you swing that thing. Yeah, you have to be fucking strong. (laughs) Yeah, that's That's for sure. Oh, man. Um, so Davos is instructing him, you know, you need to keep quiet about being Robert Baratheon's dad <laughs> or, or dad, uh, son. <laughs> and you know, that doesn't it's last It's a very long. complicated situation. All right. right. Like, There's a lot of dynamics going on here. Old Kings from the North, you know, Targaryen dynasty coming back into play. <laughs> last thing we need is the people who took over the Targaryen dynasty, like potentially being players on the chessboard right now. Like just be quiet. <laughs> It'll be the best for everybody. Although yeah. Davos is quite pretty presumptuous to hide the truth from the king in the north you know and and from danny like he lies to john saying this is clovis when they get to the cave you know what i mean john could be like whoa did you just lie to me you know i think it's to protect john because uh, he does say you know the king in the north has way too much on his plate he doesn't need to be worried about harboring the bastard son of a dead king right like while in the presence of the targaryens (laughs) Sure. Yeah, the motivation makes sense, but nonetheless, he's lying to the king. That's true. You know what That's I mean? That's true. John doesn't really seem to mind, though, and yeah. I'm sure we'll we'll get there. Think about this, um, though. Like he has a history with the Baratheons. He served Stannis for a long time. All of a sudden, he's got a Baratheon bastard under his wing, and he's sneaking around about it with like among these other kings. It's like he's plotting to, to like reinstate overthrow. the Baratheon house, you know, <laughs> like he should just be honest about it basically. So he doesn't look suspicious, which he's not like intentionally at least. That's true. So the, the gold cloaks start walking down the, uh, the long staircase. And Gendry's oh. like, who should I say I am? And Davos just, I told you, Clovis, <laughs> if we don't get out of here soon, someone is going to you there. <laughs> yeah. um, and Davos immediately shows him um, the gold cloaks like I don't have any weapons. Smart. He opens up his cloak. You know, we're friends. I promise. What can I do for you? You can tell he's got experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean. It's crazy that he doesn't have any weapons on him, but he does say a lot that he's not a fighter. So, yeah, um, I'd carry some type of weapon on me anywhere. He knows the ropes with the the gold cloaks, like how they charge a fee, the troll toll and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. 
<laughs> a troll toll. <laughs> <laughs> gotta pay the troll toll if you want to get this boy's soul. You gotta pay the troll toll if you want to get into that boy's hole. You gotta pay the troll toll to get in. Not bad. Good rhythm. Love the enthusiasm. I feel like you're saying boy's hole, and it's clearly soul. Nice. Um, so they ask, you know, if this is the boat, if this is uh, Davos's boat, and... You know, the other, the second guard, he goes, well, why aren't you at the docks? You know, they're this way. And he goes, well, you know, I'm just trying to avoid the kind people like yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Which had five golden dragons. (laughs) And the guy's like, "Uh, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) It's 15 apiece. Yeah, you must be even older than you look. Like, it's been a while since you've been smuggling. (laughs) Hilarious. That's the old prices, son. Yeah, and so Davos is pissed, and he he reaches into his purse and, you know, pulls out 30 gold dragons. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's got to be, like, a valuable boatload, you know what I mean? Like, worth that amount to pay to smuggle it? You got to be carrying some valuable goods. Yeah, absolutely. So Davos is pissed off, and he's like, I can't say it was a pleasure doing business with you. (laughs) And they kind of laugh. And they get curious. They're like, well, what's in the boat? Uh, and the hammer is out. Yeah. He just said, we don't have any weapons, I promise. Yeah, exactly. And so he gets he gets kind of smart here. They're they're contemplating what's in the what's in the boat. If it's wine or ham or ham. Davos mm. um, is like, come and have a look. And Gendry's like, what are, are you, you doing? Crazy? Dude, like my hammer's laying in the boat (laughs) so he throws the blanket over the hammer which was super clever you you can definitely tell that he has done this a few times before this type of thing yeah totally super slick of for and he reveals fermented crab oh gross I think (laughs) it's not really fermented crab I think it's this crab that he was using as a decoy, but it's gone bad. Oh. So he's making up a story about it. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about it, like why it smells <laughs> what, so bad. What and, they like use this garbage for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so I don't gross. think it's necessarily fermented. I think it's like bad crab. That's like crab that's gone bad. Well, it would be fermenting. They, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> so he's not totally lying. Uh. Oh God! And so you know. He, he gives us the story of <laughs> that it triples the brothel's earnings for the week because <laughs> the man thinks he's done and he's ready to go back to his loving family. But before he gets his britches up, the lady of the hour pops a tiny spoon of that into his mouth. And then he's Beavis on an airplane again. He's back in the race. And then he offers them a taste and the guys are like, ew, they like smell it and they taste it. And their face is like, oh my God, this is fucking gross. gross. And so to get them to go away, he's like, I'd hurry along, go to your favorite establishment, have a good time. (laughs) Otherwise you'll put a hole through that chain mail. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so bad. Yeah. Hilarious. With their fat pink masts. (laughs) For a Sam reference. Sam. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so everything seems to kind of be going well. They actually like turn to walk away and terrible timing on Tyrion's part. I know. Right. It's like if he were of normal stature, 
you know, yeah. they wouldn't have even batted an eye, but yep. because he's a dwarf, you know, and has that scar on his face, they instantly notice him. They're like, we were supposed it, to be hunting a guy with a scar like that. <laughs> a dwarf. Yeah, well, I got this one from a fish hook. <laughs> That's so. pretty slick. Yeah. And he looks over at Gendry and he's like, some men you just can't teach. <laughs> so he's already Hilarious. like blaming Gendry. <laughs> yeah a stranger <laughs> totally he's like so he plays it off so well like that's like you said like including the stranger in the ruse like like playing the part really slickly done yeah he doesn't just talk to davos he's talking to gendry too bringing him kind of into the fold yeah, and gendry's and I, just standing there yeah i like when Tyrion's like walking towards the boat too and the gold cloaks are following him he looks at davos and has this like frantic look on his face like do something ah! <laughs> I remember Davos had said before that, like, hopefully no, we don't get pulled, like, found by any gold cloaks because I have to warn you now, I'm not a fighter, remember? Yeah. I'm not a fighter. Yeah. Fighter. <laughs> so, not so a fighter. shit, like, now the gold cloaks are on their asses, and, and Davos is not a fighter, so Tyrion's like, fuck, 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 the plan's falling apart. But luckily, Gendry's there. Oh, damn. We don't so need he... him quite yet, but he's there. <laughs> um. So... Davos quickly jumps back into action and he's like yep. jiggling his purse at them, you know, like I can pay you more. And you're like, dude, you can't pay us more than Queen Cersei. Cersei's <laughs> looking for a dwarf with a scar like that. Like he's ours, basically. And as they're talking in the background, you can see oh, Gendry yes. like creeping up <laughs> with a fucking hammer cocked. Oh my and then God. Boom. <laughs> Crack. Tyrion oh, winches. And then he looks away at the second one. Yeah. And we get this, um, you know, image of the guy's face is totally oh, smashed, just smashed in. up. And the, the way he swung it too, like he swung from the left and then swung the hammer around. So he'd like to use the momentum of that bulbous hammer point, you know, the, to, uh, in the, to help with his next swing. And he like swung it around. It's like Thor's hammer. Whack, yeah, exactly. And he's swinging <laughs> exactly. around and around and around and he can fly away. Totally. <laughs> it is about that big. It does look that heavy. You know? <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. It's a straight up war hammer. For Beautiful sure. hammer. I think Valyrian steel sells that one too, actually. <laughs> Valyrian steel.com. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'll check. Oh, I can't believe that place exists. So That's cool. So funny. So Davos looks over at Tyrion and says, this is Gendry. And Tyrion, in just perfect fashion, goes, you'll do. Yep. Oh, <laughs> my God. They get in the boat and sail away. Yes, that, that was a great interaction. Like, it really oh, was. Yes. This is Gendry. He'll do. <laughs> like, he just fucking <laughs> saved our asses. He's obviously on point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So what's your number five? My number five is Cersei learning the horrible truth. Awesome. Is this right after Jamie's like running down the hallway covered in mud? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. I just want to make sure I'm in the right Cersei scene here. Right. So Jamie's walking down the hallway, just rushing to Cersei's chambers after yeah, after returning from the loot train battle and from um his conversation with the Braun and everything. And uh Kyburn tries to slow him down, impede his progress in the hallway, and he just blows right by him <laughs> and ignores him and rushes into Cersei's room. And she looks surprised that somebody's entering, but um she sees him and like is okay with it, doesn't freak out, right? 
And, uh, <laughs> and it, so she, she asks him straight up, like, first thing she says, how many men did we lose? So she's already aware of the defeat. But yep. as we learn, she's in denial about the implications of the defeat. <laughs> Jamie's like, you know, we don't know how many people are dead. Uh, and she's like, it's armies that win wars. We have the Tyrell we have the Tyrell gold. We have the iron banking backing us. We can buy mercenaries, you know, like we're still Jamie, in the fight. It's like you are a crackhead. Yeah. Like what planet are you on? Yeah, Jamie knows that it's like written like futile at this point. <laughs> I love that. He talks about the Dothraki and it being like a sport for them. Yeah. There's a hundred thousand Dothraki. Oh my God. Like, it's insane. How, how many sell swords can you pay? Like, right, there aren't even, even like many. Can, <laughs> like the Dothraki are going to fucking kill them. They yeah. they do this for fun. Right, it Robert, was fun for them. Robert had said um, only an idiot would face the Dothraki in the field. Right, all those years yeah. ago, as our amazing listener pointed out in our feedback last week, and here Jamie now knows the truth of that. As quote, he's, he says, "I just saw the Dothraki fight. They'll beat any mercenary army. They'll beat any army I've ever seen." Killing our men wasn't war for them. It was sport. I'm like, holy shit, that's fucking serious. And then yeah. he drops the big bombs. You know, her dragon burned a thousand wagons. Kyburn the scorpion fired bolts bigger than you. They couldn't stop it. She has three of them. This three is not a war them. we can win. <laughs> like, uh, so then she's like, well, what do you want me to do? Sue for peace? Right. I sit on her dad's throne. The, you murdered him. Yeah. yeah. She, in <laughs> other words, she wants both of us dead. Yeah. What <laughs> offer can we like make? Just, <clears throat> let's just give her our lives because that's what she wants. She doesn't want to sue for peace with us. Yeah. Oh, oh that that moment with Jamie telling her like how they can't win too. It's it's his turn to be um, Adrian from <laughs> Rocky Four. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. It's suicide. You can't it's win. Suicide. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I've actually ran up the Rocky Steps in Philadelphia. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I didn't know you'd been that far they east. They have his footprints at the very top. You can stand in them. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, Rocky Bow Boy. Adrian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then and then this is where another giant bomb gets dropped, right? Yeah, Cersei's like, she wants both of us dead, basically. And she's like, and in her, in her mind, she's she's winning. What, kind, what sort of offer do you think she'd even make to us? She just wants us dead, you know, basically. And surprisingly, she actually does make an offer <laughs> later in this episode. Yeah. Um, which Cersei wasn't expecting, right? But she she goes on and brings up Tyrion. She's like, maybe we can count on Tyrion to intercede on our behalf by way of apology for murdering our father and son. This is freaking, lun- like, what a lunatic she is right now. Right. Like, why would Tyrion want to help you? Yeah, totally. And uh, this is when Jamie drops a big bombshell on her, like the, the real big news that he learned from Olena. And he's like, he didn't. And Cersei thinks he's talking about Tywin. You saw the crossbow. You saw the body. He's like, no, Joffrey. Tyrion didn't kill Joffrey. He had nothing to do with it. And Cersei just After like all this time. It yeah, still amazes me. She doesn't. She like has no idea. And Jamie just like cuts her right off. Just like it was Olena. She confessed. Cersei still doesn't believe it. She's everything that she believes that they have a chance in the war that that Tyrion killed Joffrey. She lives in a giant delusion, you know. And totally. Uh, and Cersei's like, oh, yeah, was it before or after she drank the poison? 
and Jamie, after. Right. And you believed her. And, yep. ja- and this is the line that really convinces her, that makes her think. Jamie's like, think about it. If you were Olena, would you rather have your granddaughter married to Joffrey or Tommen? And a look of realization washes over Cersei's face as Jamie continues, which would which one would have Mar- would Marjorie have been better able to control? Which one would have made Olena the true ruler of the Seven Kingdoms? She was telling the truth. Yes, and Cersei realizes that she he, that he's right, and she she like she needs to sit down as she realizes yeah, that she's been she's living in because she got an easy death, and we we know at this point Cersei has some terrible fates imagined for her enemies. Yeah, he she goes, you know. I sh- she should have died screaming. I should not have listened to you. Yeah, like, I, you're right. I thought I thought she was having like a tiv- a Timmy moment, like she'd been living a lie. Living a lie, living a lie, living a lie, living a lie. Come on, you know. But uh, instead, she's just like pissed that <laughs> that Cersei didn't or that uh, Elena didn't suffer. Mm. And Jamie's like, it doesn't matter. She's dead. Like her son, her grandchildren, her whole entire fucking house is wiped from the planet. Like. And if we don't figure out a way to get out of this war, we are close behind. Yeah. And Cersei, Cersei knows, I think at this point that she's fucked either way. So we fight and we die or we submit and die. Cause in her mind, even if she, they sue for peace, Danny doesn't want to be peaceful. Right. With the she Lannisters. wants them dead because she's on the throne that belonged to Danny's father or that Danny thinks belongs to her. And because Jamie killed her father. <laughs> and Danny will would feel like, you know, I'd never be safe with the Lannisters lurking around still. Right. She would need to kill them to feel completely safe on the throne. Yeah. Uh, mm. Cersei. So Cersei, Cersei, Cersei. And she just like can't miss any opportunity to like talk down to Jamie, you know, and she's like, so we fight and die or we submit and die. I know my choice. A soldier should know his. You know, and Jamie's like, fuck, (laughs) such a bitch, just can't help being horrible at any possible moment. She's so mean to him and it bothers me because she's like supposed to love him. It's like, how can you be so mean to the people that you love? She's like Littlefinger. She doesn't know the meaning of love. (laughs) You know, Littlefinger. Littlefinger. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. Yep. Nice. Yeah. So uh, that's that. That's it for my number five. Just thought that was a powerful scene as Cersei learns the truth about the dominance of the Targaryen forces and the truth about the murderer of Joffrey. Although she doesn't get the full truth because she doesn't know about Littlefinger's involvement. But yeah, just wild revelations for her that will um, you know change her attitude a little bit moving forward. We'll be right back after this short trailer for the amazing new documentary, Beautiful America, by Mage Powers Productions, free on YouTube. Make sure to check it out today. I've traveled to a bunch of random places and random countries, but as a Midwestern guy, I recently have been falling in love with what the more rugged parts of America have to offer to all of us before they're gone. Team Mage Productions and Powers Media House presents Beautiful America, a musical documentary series with all original content. Explore the southwest of America and indulge in some places you've heard of and plenty more that you certainly have not. Cooking under the stars and below freezing temps of Death Valley. 4K drone footage of one of the most insane monoliths on Earth. Driving in abandoned mines, cliffs, canyons, and wild times. Check it out. Team Age Productions on Facebook and YouTube. 
That's T-E-A-M-A-G-E Productions. Beautiful America. So what's your number four? My number four is Randall Gets Roasted. Oh, Toasted Charlie. Toasted Charlie's. Yeah, so we're on the battleground here, and the scene actually starts out with Tyrion, and he's walking over the ground, which is just covered in ash, which is just like basically disintegrated bodies. So crazy, right? Yeah, and there's just, it's just like carnage for as far as the eye can see. And he looks very conflicted. It's, it looks like, like a post-apocalyptic, like nuclear fallout zone where it's just like, he's kind of shocked. He's kind of just like wandering through the, you know, the disaster. Right. And he looks over at the Dothraki and they're doing what they do best. (laughs) Looting, looting looting the Lannister soldiers. Yep. Oh man. And the sad reigns of Castamere is playing and, this all just is making me very nervous for Tyrion. He's becoming, it, it seems like he's feeling more sympathy towards House Lannister, right? And like, as he's like looking at all the destroyed Lannister shields and stuff, and I'm worried that that may be like mirroring Jamie becoming less loyal to Cersei, where like oh. Jamie could be turning on Cersei, but Tyrion could be turning on Danny to some degree. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. My chair is squeaking. That's right. Yeah. It just makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a little bit nerve wracking. So then we get this amazing shot of Drogon. Oh my, oh my God. God, dude. That's the coolest He's shit huge. ever. He's His wing is like kind of, I don't want to say transparent because it's not transparent, but it's like, you can kind of see the light through his wing and it's oh, oh my God, yeah, it's like so beautiful. Translucent to some degree for sure. And Danny Amazing. is standing in front of all of the survivors, which there's not a lot of people left. Yeah. And Tyrion is standing down in front too, and he looks really nervous. His hand is like twitching and clenching. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like I like Danny's speech here. Um you know, I know Cersei has told you ridiculous propaganda about me that I'm here to burn down your homes, murder and orphan your children. But that's Cersei. That's not me. It's kind of hard to believe, though, <laughs> after what they all just witnessed. You know what I mean? It, yeah, like, it pans around the devastation and she's like, I'm not here to destroy that your houses and everything around them is just like destroyed and destroyed. massacred. And they're all just like, why should we believe you? Although she could have gone in and destroyed their houses and she didn't. She right. focused in on the fighting men, not the innocent people. So in the moment, if you're on the Lannister side, you're not really believing her at this point, but if you look at it from kind of an objective view, right. I agree. Yeah. And pull away from the situation. That's exactly what she did. She saved the innocence as much as possible. You know, she went after the army and not, she left the civilian population untouched. Yes. Safe in King's landing. She strategically went after the actual threat. Yeah, she's like, you people. know what I could have done, and I didn't do it. And that's what Jamie said too. Like to Bron, remember he's like, if she did, which if she uses those dragons, really, really uses use them. them, yeah. Mm. God damn. So 
she she brings back up the wheel that she wants to break it. She wants to destroy it. That's rolled over the rich and the poor, only to benefit no one but the Cersei Lannisters of this world. Yep. I offer you a choice. Bend the knee or die. I mean, <laughs> that's it. Like, that's your choice. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And it's really, it shows her restraint, but it also shows her ruthlessness. Yeah, totally. But I mean, what what can she do? Also, at the same time, like like Tyrion points out to various later, like these people took up arms against her. Yeah, you know, and Varys makes a good point. He's like, well, she didn't have to burn him alive, but it's like she's the breaker of chains for Christ's sake. She even says it here. She goes, I'm not putting men in chains. I'm not going to put them up in cells. This is I gave them a choice. This is their choice. They can follow yep. me or they can die. Yeah, she's That's, like, together we can leave the world a better place than we found it, she says to them all. She echoes what she had said to Theon and Yara a few episodes ago and Maureen, remember? Yep, At the end absolutely. of season six. Yeah, so we get kind of her her two main reasons, breaking the breaking the political wheel and leaving the world a better place. Oh, oh, I think I think it is a pretty big gesture that she's even offering to to let them join her though, like like yeah. I was saying before, it's kind of difficult to believe what she's saying and like in the, for these people in this scenario because they're just looking around at the devastation and destruction that she just caused, right? But but it is like a pretty big gesture that she's like even willing to give them a chance and to offer mercy to what remains of the army and the enemy army. Yeah. So, I mean, they have to, if they were smart, they have to read into that a little bit that maybe, right. Even if not everything she's saying is true, maybe some of it is right. And a couple of them guys actually kneel here. Um, I would be, I'd be like, I, <laughs> And I think it kind of goes back to when Arya talks to the Lannister soldiers, like, you know, the boys just go off to fight in someone else's war. Like, right. A lot of those soldiers, they don't give a fuck about the Lannisters. They just happen to be young men that are in the, you know, in the military. It's like, I'm not going to die for this. And that it kind of it plays into that like broken man speech that you get as well, where you these men grow up fighting in other people's wars, and you know eventually they'll break or bend. In this case, like bend their knee, bend the knee. And clearly, the side with the dragons is likely to win. I mean, let's be real. If you were a soldier, let's be real here. You know, if you were a soldier deciding to stay with the Lannisters. Or go over to the side with the three fucking dragons and the hundred thousand Dothraki. I know my choice. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, like you said, a few people kneel and we pan into Randall and Dickon Tarly. Yep, we get a quick little shot of them showing that they are not kneeling. They are Um, not kneeling. And then all of a sudden Drogon we see. And he fucking lets out a... Yeah. roaring screech and then most of the people kneel <laughs> i was and wondering then, like that it's hilarious like how n- the guys don't kneel and then drogon roars and they kneel but i'm amazed at the timing of this that we're like drogon understands that this is the moment where danny needs to <laughs> a little intimidation and i'm wondering to what degree like like the dragons dragons are supposed to be like super smart like 
even smarter than humans, potentially. I think they understand like language. Right. They may not be able to speak language, but they understand it. Right. So I'm, I'm wondering like if, if Drogon maybe legit understands the common tongue to like a really great degree and could actually understand all of like the dynamics and nuances of what's happening at this scene and like recognizes his place as the muscle basically <laughs> you know what i mean like i think so i i think they're supposed to be super intelligent super beings smart. i mean even in our our world like dogs they can understand up to like 200 words or something crazy like that right. you know and birds they are super smart creatures Gorillas, just, like Coco, with yeah, like thousands of words. Just because right? they can't speak it doesn't mean that they don't understand it. Right, and, and understand like the the dynamics of like nuances of things that are going on, you know? Yeah, I mean, even raising a small child, there's a, you know, Justin's two and a half now. So he his language has advanced. He can speak much better now. But back when he was, you know, a year, 18 months old, he could absolutely understand everything that we were saying to him, but he right. couldn't really like repeat it back or express himself back in, in a, in a level of detail that made sense most of the time. Right. So, so it's, yeah. So it's entirely possible that, that Drogon is totally possible. lucid here. <laughs> totally. That's so fucking cool, man. So then we pan back over to the Tarleys and this is where she goes. Step forward, my Lord. Uh. You will not kneel. And Randall, what a dick. Yeah, he's so dumb. And like, I when, already when, have a queen. Yeah. And like, when she's like, you'll not kneel. And she's like, for real, bro, you're not going to kneel? Like, goddamn. Like, I'm going to roast you alive. I'm really curious to know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally going to roast you alive. Um, so Tyrion obviously recognizes him at some point, you know, because he he calls Randall out. You yeah, know, that totally. your allegiances are kind of flexible because you Cersei wasn't your queen until recently when she murdered your rightful queen and destroyed the house of your bannerman or of like that. You're the bannerman for it. Like, I think that was a pretty poignant point. You know, like she murdered your rightful queen. Cersei did. Yeah. Why are you supporting her? Essentially. Yeah. And Randall being a stubborn ass that he is, there are no easy choices in war. Yeah. Say what you want about your sister. She was born in Westeros. And this is like his kind of like racism, I guess. Totally. But Danny was born in in Westeros too. His point though, I think is she was born here and she lived here her entire life. Like got got me there. (laughs) Realizing that Danny was also born in Westeros. Yeah, exactly. He hates foreigners has spent, you know, her, her entire childhood and adult life on the other side of the world. And, um, you know, sorry, I lost my place. She lived here all her life. Basically. And so on the other hand, you murdered your dad and chose to support a foreigner, a foreign invader. Right. That with was, an army of savages at her back. Yeah. And it's like, that's what disgusts him about Danny. Totally. I think. The, yeah. The foreign, like just the, all the foreign aspect. Like he just hates foreigners. Savages. And this was and, crazy too. Cause Randall goes after Tyrion here. Like he, just like he does to Samwell, you know, like talks down to him and scolds him like he's his child. And yeah. considering that Tyrion has been conflicted lately and has been like walking around the battlefield, like all like, 
you know, like looking horrified and is arguing with Danny and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, it makes me nervous when people are calling Tyrion out and saying it's a bad decision for Tyrion to be backing Danny. It, I'm worried that it may like be, they may be planting seeds that may stick with him. Yeah. And I think, you know, you might be onto something because it was easy for Tyrion to follow Danny in Essos because right. he wasn't in his home country and that he saw all the positive stuff that she was doing and the people that she was killing weren't they they didn't matter as much. I mean, of they course, they didn't have Lannister lives. shields. <laughs> yeah. Or or even just Westerosi in general, like his countrymen. Um, and now that he's back right. in his country and seeing his people, you know, on the other side of this. Yeah. It's really a little bit more real and tangible that and we even got a hint of that too. When, when that Dothraki came over to take Jon Snow's sword away from him and just the way that Tyrion was watching the, the kind of awkward nature of that interaction, having like a foreign army come in and like, take away your Disarm weapons and stuff. The and Westerosi. You yeah. could tell even that made Tyrion feel a little bit uncomfortable. So here having like the Dothraki slaughtering Lannister troops and having a dragon queen from Essos <laughs> roasting people alive with a giant dragon. Tyrion's feeling like pretty uneasy. Yeah, I, I agree. And so Danny asks him, so you're not going to trade your honor for your life. Okay. I respect that. Right. Just like Mance Raider. And Tyrion's like, maybe he could take the black. He's a true soldier. He would be invaluable at the wall. And Randall. Fucking idiot. He's a stubborn fuck. He's like, a, why, such a fuck. Why do you want to die over this, dude? Like, what? what's the point of dying here? What's the point? I don't yeah, understand where he's coming from. On? Yeah. You can't send me to the wall. You are not my queen. Fucking idiot. So Danny nods to her Dothraki and they pull Randall away and Dickon. No. Following stubbornly in his dad's footsteps. Oh, you know, you're going to have to kill me too. You know, and Randall is like, step back and shut your mouth. It's like, what? You really think your son's just going to sit there and let this happen? I like, know, right? you're. You're the you're leading by example. Right. And Danny's like, you're who is dad. this? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like how she calls him Dickin. Dickin. <laughs> Dickin Tarly. Dickin. Dickin Tarly. Dickon. Mm-hmm. Well, she's about to be dicking the Tarleys in a minute and she dicks their whole house. <laughs> yeah. So she asks, you know, who who are you? And Randall answers, a stupid, a stupid boy. boy. So does that make you stupid, Randall? Because you're doing the exact same fucking thing. Yeah. So you're calling yourself stupid. Okay. You're you're a complex little creature. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, I'm Dick on oh, son of Randall Tully. Yeah. Tyrion looks. Tyrion's like, what are you doing? He looks so disturbed by all of this. He does not like any of this at all. Yeah. Yeah, you're the future of your house. This war has already wiped out one great house from the world. Don't let it happen again. Bend the knee. Bend the knee. <laughs> and Dickon looks over at his dad and... Randall's like, do you know, it. Randall's like, please, just bend the knee. And he goes, I will not. Tyrion cannot handle this. He's like freaking out. Yeah. 
you know, nothing strips bold notions from a man's head like a few weeks in a dark cell. And he's been in a couple dark cells before, like up at the he Erie. Knows. King's he knows. Landing. The, the black cells. Talk, talk about dark cells. Like the darkest of all cells, the black cells, you know. Black cells. Uh. Yeah, he knows that this works. And she stays true to her word. I meant what I said. I'm not here to put men in chains. That's like not my MO. Like I am the breaker of chains. In fact, if that becomes an option, many will take it. I gave them a choice. They made it. And how can you argue with that logic? Yeah. Your grace, if you begin beheading entire families, I'm not beheading anyone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's like, you have a fucking dragon behind you, Tyrion. Yeah. My guess is that she's not going to be beheading people. Oh, fuck. And then oh like, Tyrion looks over at Drogon and he's just like, like ready to fucking roll. Yeah, there's, I'm not sure if it's right here. At some point in this dialogue, we get an image of Drogon's tail, like taking out oh, trees. It's in the coming back. up. I took note of oh, it. Okay. I'll mention it. Okay. Or I'll okay. point out. <laughs> I wasn't sure where it was, but I laughed. It's I was great. like, oh, damn. It's so funny. <laughs> so she basically just shoes Tyrion off and yeah, turns and looks forward again. At the, yeah, at the Dothraki, and they escort the, the Tarleys over to a nice little barbecue patch. <laughs> And yep. all official, you know, she goes, Lord Randall Tarly, Dickon Tarly, I, Daenerys of House Targaryen, first of my name, breaker of chains and mother of dragons, sentence you to die. That's when the Dracarys. dragon's tail f- comes in and flattens oh, okay. the bushes and it, Tyrion <laughs> kind of looks over at it like, oh, look, this is terrifying. <laughs> this is awful. And then I like how she just says Dracarys. Yes. Like, it's not Dracarys. It's just. Dracarys. <laughs> so casual. Oh, man. And that and gout then, of flame. <laughs> yes. So fucking awesome. I love it. So and they disintegrate. Yeah. They fall to pieces. Oh, it's so crazy. It's so hard to watch. And then. It's so cool. Basically, everyone else kneels. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody kneels and Danny like turns and walks off. And the the sad look that Tyrion gives here as she walks away is it's so sad. It's like he feels like she's she's like let him down, you know, like she's not li- living up to what she could be. And I'm worrying more and more that she's losing him. Yeah, I think he's very conflicted. Which is natural. I mean, sure. This is his house. It's his home. It's his house. It's his, you know. So he's. It's going to go one of two ways. He's going to know that Danny is right for the country and just has to like learn to deal with it, or it's going to be too much for him and it breaks him and uh, something bad's going to happen. Dun, oh, dun, man. Dun. So fucked up. Yeah. So that's my number four. All right. That was a good one. What's your number four? My number four is Jora returns to his queen's service. Yay! So funny. So this is at that moment where I'm like, "Oh man, here comes the question." And and Danny asks John, "When you first came here, Sir Davos said you took a knife in the heart for your people." And John's like, "Sir Davos got gets carried away, you know," and like kind of like brushes it off and laughs. And Danny looks a little a little peeved that he's skirting the question. 
and she's like, so it's, a, so it was a figure of speech. And before he can answer, <laughs> they're interrupted by the Dothraki who, who do you think walk he up. Was, do you think he would have told her the truth here? I think he probably would have. Do you think he would have lied? I, I think he intentionally said Sir Davos gets carried away because he didn't want to lie, and but he wanted to make it seem like it wasn't the case, you know? So he sort of cleverly chose his language to... Um, so he's not lying, but he's not, like, <laughs> answering directly, <laughs> you know? So I think he would have told the truth. I think he like yeah. he was just glad that he got interrupted so he didn't have to, basically. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> so uh, the Dothraki walk up. It is windy as fuck up there. Yeah, it, is. it always is. <laughs> so the, the Dothraki guards walk up and and the leader says, this man says he's your friend, Khaleesi. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's Jorah. Friend zone. Yeah, and they step aside and Jorah strides forth and bows or, or kneels. And I, I love how he kneels, like showing her just like utmost respect and devotion and going through like the tradition of the of the, the steps, you know, and what you're supposed to do. I don't know. It's just kind of cool how he does it. But uh, he says, your grace, and he stands and sees Jon Snow, and he's like, fuck, I still got no romantic chance. I'm cured. Dario's out of the picture, but she's got, it's Jon Snow, she's and another I'm man. still fucking friend-zoned, you know? And Danny, and he mean mugs John. Too. Yeah, they're like sizing each other, sizing each other up a bit there. And Danny introduces him, Jon Snow. This is Sir Jorah Mormont, an old friend. And John like is blown away by this and responds with the proper courtesy for the time for you know for the moment. He's like, "Oh man, like I I served with your father. He was a great man, you know." <laughs> and Jorah doesn't like really answer him. <laughs> it's kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. Jorah must know that he's Ned Stark's bastard too. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure he does. Definitely. Um, so he sees the the breastplate and everything like that, you know. Yeah. With the wolves on it, dire wolves and everything. So uh, Danny's like, "You look strong. You found a cure." And I'm like, "Yeah, Sam. He found Sam. You know, Sam was the cure." And that like, I'm just too bad he didn't get didn't get brought up right at this moment because that would just be another way for for Jora and John to sort of bond a to little bond. bit. Yeah. Like, oh shit, you go, you know Sam too. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think Jora probably assumes that no one knows who Sam is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, but if he knew that John was the Lord Commander and he knows that Sam was from came down from the Night's Watch to learn to be be a maester because he I mean Do you think he knows he's the Lord Commander though? Because all John says is I served under I served under your father. Even if he I mean in that even if that's the case, like he knows Jor, yeah. Sam knows Jor. There's a it's likely that they know each other. Likely. From, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's true. There's only like fifty people at the wall. Yeah, exactly. Those forces are so depleted at this era. Um so uh Jorah's like, I did it. I found a cure. I wouldn't be here uh, if I hadn't because I wouldn't risk your safety and your health. You know, I'd love you too much. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I return to your service, my queen, if you'll have me. And <laughs> just such a beautiful moment between the two of them. She's like, it would be my honor. And she just goes forward and gives him a big hug. And John's like, don't freaking hug my girl, bro. Like, you know, Jorah looks over at John like, yeah. ha ha. Yeah, and John looks all serious because it's sunny out and he's like squinting a little bit. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And it's so windy. It's yeah. so 
windy up there. Just a great moment. So that's it for my number four. Jorah's back. He's back in his queen's service. And uh, it's just been so long that he's been out of her good graces. And it's just finally good to have him finally, you know, back where he needs to be. And he wastes no time putting himself on the line, stepping up for her when he volunteers to go north later in this episode, too. Yeah. Too soon for her. She's like, no, not yet. You just, just got, got you back, back to me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So uh, what's your number three? My number three is the reunion at Eastwatch. Nice. When that's... all the men find out like how much they all hate each other. Yeah, that's my number one, too. So perfect. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. We can collab. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, such a funny moment, huh? It is. It's like all of these past vendettas and relationships are all kind of crossing which way and no one's really focusing on like the main task at hand. Right. So funny, man. Yeah. So, um, is this our first time seeing Tormund this season? No, we, we've seen him. Sorry. We've seen him in the first we episode. Saw him, yeah. Just last episode when he was like, Oh, I'll head to East watch then or whatever too. Yeah. It looks like we're the night's watch. Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So, um, Torment leads them kind of into the cells and tells John that, you know, his scouts found these people, you know, a mile south of the wall, but they said that they're on their way here. And so they all look into the cells and it's Sandor Clegane, Thoros of Mir, and Beric Dondarrion. And John immediately recognizes the hound. Yeah. He's like, I saw you at Winterfell. How crazy is that, right? Just instantly knows it's the hound. You're the hound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's pretty hard to miss, you know. Yeah, he's totally. Unique. And um, so Clegane sits up and, and Tormund keeps talking to John. You know, they want to go beyond the wall, too. And Barrett corrects him. He says, we don't want to. We have to. Yep. And that's just Our like Lord John. Told like, us. like, just like he was saying to Danny last episode, he's like, you know, what What we're good at. He's like, I, I don't like doing what I'm good at. You know, like, but they don't want to do go. It. They have to. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Um, and then Gendry pipes in. Don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> don't trust any of them. They're freaking the Brotherhood. <laughs> and the last thing their Lord told them to do was... Sell me to a red witch to, to be, be murdered. murdered. You know, that red witch that burned that the, the Baratheon princess. Yeah, burned her alive at the stake, a yeah. little girl. And then Jorah's like, Thoros? Yeah, yeah, Jorah <laughs> hardly recognized you. <laughs> I was like, oh man, you remember he was fighting with Thoros of Mir way back in the day during the Greyjoy Rebellion. Yeah. Um, which when we'll he learn ran- more about next episode. Yeah, he ran through the... The breach. The breach with his flaming sword at Pike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thoros did, totally. Just impressing the shit out of Jorah, which yeah. influenced his story that they told to the uh, the slavers. The slavers, yeah. Yeah, in Marine. We're like, <laughs> that's great. Love it. And then, um, so then Thoros looks over at J- Jorah and goes, Sir Jorah Mormont. And Tormund, like, snaps his head <laughs> around. You're a fucking Mormont, like the last Lord Commander. <laughs> he was my father. He hunted us like animals. <laughs> he returned the favor, as I recall. <laughs> so great. <laughs> um, and Beric is, he's perfect here. A voice here, of here, reason. Here we all are, at the edge of the world, at the same moment, heading in the same direction for the same reason. Yep. 
And uh, um, man, this is such cool. So cool because we, this is like a moment that there's like two moments in this episode where we get like microcosms of the of the seven kingdoms. One is at the Citadel with the Maesters who are all poo-pooing about the news of the Night King and everything like that and refusing to believe the news of the enemy threat from the north. And that's one way of like, it's like a microcosm how all the southern lords, like nobody believes anything that's happening up north. Nobody believes of, about the threat and everything, so they're not prepared for it. And then here, um, we have another microcosm of of the way that things should go in the Seven Kingdoms, where everybody puts aside their differences and fights together <laughs> and takes the threat seriously. Um, so he, he's like, we're all here for the same, same, going the same direction at the same moment for the same reason. And Davos is like, our reasons aren't your reasons. <laughs> it doesn't matter what our reasons are. What we think our reasons are. What we think our reasons are, yep. Yeah, and Beric stands up and walks to the front of the cell, and he's like, there's a greater purpose at work, and we serve it together whether we know it or not. And I thought it was interesting that he's standing like directly in front of the Hound at this moment. I thought that maybe it was like it was symbolic for the role that he's playing as like I think so. the protector of the Hound in the future, who's, you know, yeah, you think so too? Mm-hmm. Maybe I have that in my notes based off what you've talked about in previous episodes. Nice. There was a little bit of, you know, s- s- strategic positioning of where they were standing. Right. Yeah. And so he's, he starts bringing up the Lord of light again. And Sandor is just like, for fuck's sake, will you shut your hole? <laughs> are we coming with you or not? Like, are we going to fight? Let's do something. <laughs> what the hell? I'm bored. This is, yeah. This is so boring. <laughs> There's chickens beyond the wall, right? <laughs> And, and so uh, Jorah's like, you don't even don't don't you want to know what we're doing? <laughs> Jorah's is like, is it worse than sitting in a freezing cell waiting to die? <laughs> yeah, and John steps up as usual with the right of it. You know, he's like, he's right. We're all on the same side. Gendry's like, how can that? How can that possibly be? How can we be? We're all breathing. Yes, yes. I love that line. So fucking epic, it. man. And then. We get the Magnificent Seven beyond yes. the wall. East Watch Seven. Fuck yes. So badass. I always I love how this episode is called East Watch, but it's really next episode that there's like the big battle. Oh, right. Well, yeah. Well, that takes place past East Watch. This That's one, they true. get to East Watch. Right? East Watch is super cool looking. Instead yeah. of the big um, elevator type shaft thing, they have like a series Stairway- of staircase. stairways. Yeah, like switchbacks. There's They have that at the, at the Castle Black also although we don't like really see it on the show i don't think it's more of like a oh book really thing. Yeah. okay there's That's yeah cool. there's the stairs and the the elevator at castle black um That's cool so this this was cool because this scene with them all walking out through the east watch gate like this it reminded me it sort of paralleled the first scene of the pilot episode of the show where waymar royce leads a, a group of the night's watch north to go investigate um, wildlings being missing from villages and stuff. Remember? Yes. Yes. And they walk out of the, the gate. Right. Except instead of inept Waymar Royce leading the party to its doom, it's John motherfucking snow leading like <laughs> a, a hardened group of, of soldiers basically up North for a mission. It's so cool. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, just really, really great. Last nice. scene there. I agree. So what's your, are we on your number three? I believe so. Okay. My number three is trust in a stranger. Ooh. 
And so we get John reading the letter from Bran and learning the truth, uh, learning that the, the Night King and his army are heading south after Bran has his vision, which we'll talk about later. Um, and he is not stoked about this. And even though he, uh, he learns at this moment, he's like, I thought Arya was dead. I thought Bran was dead. <laughs> you know? And he still was like moping. He just got such good news, but he's, it's overshadowed by this, this horrible stuff that's happening. Right. And Danny's like, I'm so happy for you. You, you don't look happy. <laughs> it's kind of a funny moment between the two of them. Yeah, and, he's uh, not really ever. He's Jon Snow doesn't really ever look happy. Yeah. Very, very rarely. So this letter must have been like had enough information to let Jon know that not only is Bran alive, but he has visions because he says Bran saw the Night King and his army marching towards East Watch, <laughs> right? And how could he see that? Maybe that's not necessarily true though, because Bran John knew that Bran was beyond the wall. Did he? Yeah, because Sam told him. Oh, didn't I, he? I don't know. I don't remember if Sam um, told him or not. There, there was a there was a conversation a while back that John was talking to someone, and he goes, "When I, you know, found out that my brother was beyond the wall, I wanted to go out so bad to look for him." Oh. So I, I, I think I'm almost positive that John knew that Bran was beyond the wall okay so maybe he thought he died again then <laughs> like because like uh sam says later like nobody else has survived past the wall for that long like a crippled boy you know did it so yeah. probably just assumed he was dead again i feel on the wall. I, I have to i'd have to look back i'd have to watch it again i, I may be wrong yeah I'm um, not, i can't remember i'm not sure i can't remember either but it's it, i feel like he knew that Bran was beyond the wall. Yeah, I hope so. so but I could just be making that up in my mind. I'm yeah, delusional I'll today. Look, I'll look for it too, like okay. when I'm editing and stuff. So, um, so John's like, if if they make it past the wall, like the the undead army, which we know happens in the finale in two episodes from now, so that's exciting. And Varys is like, the wall has kept him out for thousands of years. Pres- presumably and john cuts him off like realizing the gravity of the situation he's like i need to go home like this is like i gotta go you know <laughs> like shit's, yeah shit's it's unfolding. way too close to home yeah east watch it's they're very close yeah pretty close and so danny's like well like you said you don't even have enough men to fight them and he's like 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 I just got to do what I got to do. Like we don't have the men unless you want to join us. Can you like kind of help us out? It'd be kind of cool. And, uh, Danny's like, we, I can't. And we would just be giving the country to Cersei. As soon as I leave, she'd just take over the March. whole South. Yeah. yeah. And Tyrion's like, well, maybe not, you know, and he's got a pretty, uh, pretty good idea. Although he, it turns out he thinks too much of Cersei, right? He thinks that she's more rational than she is. He's like, maybe if we, you know, Cersei thinks that this is all bullshit. Like the army of the dead, she thinks that's just a joke. Like the long night is a tale written to, you know, frighten children into obeying their wet nurses. <laughs> and then, you know, he's like, what if we, if we prove her wrong, if we capture a white and deliver it to King's Landing and show her that the threat is real and show her that the living, the bring breathing the dead need to, to band together. Yeah. Bring the dead to her. Pretty cool. And uh, Danny's like, I, I thought that's what we were trying to avoid, you know, bringing the dead down south. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 just one of them, just one, <laughs> not the whole army. 
Davos doesn't even know if that's possible. He's like, dude, can we even bring him past the wall? You know, because the wall is supposed to be like this magical barrier. And John brings up that, yeah, the first one he ever saw was brought into Castle Black from beyond the wall. So maybe like, like uh, maybe when you touch them or something like that, how Bran got touched by the Night King and then he was able to enter the cave. Maybe if you let them in by like, Con- like contact with them or something then you can maybe then they can get in i don't know get past the wall or something i don't know just a thought so um Varys is skeptical that cersei will even agree to meet them <laughs> and not yeah, just try we're to kill all presuming them that cersei will not murder us the moment we st- set foot into the capital right and Tyrion's like well the only person she listens to is jamie and jamie may listen to me and uh, Danny's like, well, how would you even get into King's Landing? And everybody stops and looks over at Davos. <laughs> we got a smuggler in the room. Onion knight. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I can smuggle you in. But if the gold cloaks were to recognize you, I'm warning you. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I'm not a fight. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I can't remember how he says it. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. We were talking about that earlier. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. And Tyrion's like, shit. Well, you know, we kind of just got to do what we got to do, right? Danny's kind of concerned about this. She's like, well, if we don't get one of these dead men, it's going to be all for nothing. Right. And this is where Jorah steps up and volunteers to go north and take one. I'm like, With oh, the my God. Permission, yeah. I'll go north and take one. So sick, like, oh, dude. Damn. And he looks cool, man. He's got some sweet armor on. Uh, I like his armor in this scene. Me too. Looks really cool. And I'm like, I'm just like, wow, like he is stepping up to do some ballsy shit for his queen. Because he kind of looked a little vagabondish when he approached Danny up on the cliff. Oh, he right. looked a little yeah, rough, he a cool like he had been traveling. On. It's kind yeah, of remindful so, of um, of Barristan when he arrived to meet Danny too with yeah, his traveler's cloak yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and so he's cleaned up. Yep, he looks good. Yeah, looks looks healthy and good. Good to see. He looks so much like my uncle. It's so funny. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and Danny's like, she she's like looks at him like oh, like you can't go yet, and for something so dangerous, I just got you back in the friend zone, and. <laughs> And Jorah's like, you asked me to find a cure so I could serve you. Allow me to serve you, Khaleesi. <laughs> Let me do it. This is why I did everything that I did, so I can step up and put myself on the line for you. You know, and she's like, oh, and just Damn like it. realizes it's true. And this is when John steps up too and puts it all on the line as well. And he's like, the free folk will help us. They know the real North better than anyone. And well, they're Danny, not going to follow Sir Jorah, right. says Davos. Yeah, and John's like, they won't have to. And Danny looks at John, and she's like, she just looks so pained at the idea of losing both Jorah and John <laughs> in one volley. She's just like, like mortified, horrified by by this, like what's unfolding here in this scene. All of her favorite people, you know, <laughs> like flying away, riding yeah. away, and. Uh, and Davos is like, this is madness. You can't lead a raid beyond the wall. You're the fucking king in the north now. You're not a, in the, a Night's Watch, like, fucking um, ranger or something like that. Like, Yeah, you have an important role to play. Right, You're a king. Can't, you can't, but we, John's like, dude, I'm the only one here that's fought them. I'm the only one here that knows them. Like, I, it has to be me. I have yeah. to go. And Danny's like, I haven't given you permission to leave yet. 
Uh, with respect, <laughs> your grace. I don't need your permission. I am a king. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of when she first got reunited with Jorah and found out that he had grayscale, and he was he went to leave, and she was like, "I haven't granted you permission to leave yet." <laughs> yeah, nice. all sad and shit. So funny. Yeah, and John's not John's not having it. And I think she likes that too, that she's like, Ooh, he's a real man, you know? <laughs> he's like not putting yeah, up with any of my bullshit. I love what he says here though. He goes, I came here knowing that you could have your men behead me or your dragons burn me alive. I put my trust in you, a stranger. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because I knew it was the best chance for my people. Now I'm asking you basically to do the same. same. It's the best chance for all of us. Yeah, it's our best chance. And this echoes what that Lannister soldier said to Arya a couple weeks ago. Remember, my mother said to be kind to strangers and they'll be kind to you. Oh, yeah. Nice so little I, parallel there. Yeah, I like that. He's like trusting a stranger in the hopes that they'll trust him when it comes down to it. And, you know, the same type of she uh, looks thing. so pained. She looks so just horrified. And uh, like uh, when he, when she said, um, I haven't given you permission to leave. Um, I forgot to mention he's, uh, he says with respect, your grace, I don't need your permission. I'm a king. And it made me think any man who has to say he's a king, <laughs> I that too. but he's, he, he, he doesn't end up being king for very long because he bends the knee. Right. So yes. <laughs> it kind of fits. He's maybe he's not like, not a king, you know, he's, so that's funny. Yeah. She just looks horrified by this. Right. Yeah, totally. So sad. And she just like, she pauses just nods her head, nods like, Oh, like reluctantly. she's gritting her teeth. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> this, um, so, uh, yeah, that, that pretty much, you know, that's it for my number three, I think is just trust in a stranger. I like, I thought that was really poignant. And I liked that parallel yeah. with the Arya scene with the Lannister soldier. Um, it's just kind of cool. Nice. So are we on my number two? Yes. Okay. My number two is Sam and Gilly. Ooh, revelations. In the 15,782 steps. <laughs> so, so many clearly shits. Sam- I mean steps. Clearly, Gilly is much better at reading now, and it's fascinating to her to learn about really kind of anything. Yeah. Um, you know, reading all this stuff out of a book, it's, you know, she's even... She's excelling. Amazed that there are 15,782 steps in, steps in the Citadel. That's nuts. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> and, that the, what they've done on the show, it seems they're talking about all these steps. It seems like the giant tower that we saw in the other episode at where all the white Ravens were getting released from actually is part of the Citadel on game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. In the show. Whereas in the books, that would be a white tower. Sorry, the high tower. But yeah, here with all these steps, what else is there that could possibly have that, that many steps? It's the fucking the Citadel and the way that they have the library, it's like a giant circular structure that's way yeah. tall. So it's got to be that whole inside of that giant tower. That's the library. I think you're right. I think they probably combined it because the high towers are not a part of the Game of Thrones. Right. So no one, I mean, unless you're a book reader. You wouldn't know that. And yeah, they never like the script that we're, we're reading says something about the high, the tower of the Citadel. Um, as we get to the part where Sam leaves later. So I was thinking, oh, maybe like on the show, yeah, this it's is when he leaves, part of the, the Citadel. The script says the Citadel can be seen with a torch burning bright at the top of the tallest tower. Right. Yeah. 
So they, they combined it just for the show purpose. Yeah, it seems so. Unless there's another even taller tower somewhere else that we just haven't seen. Seen, <laughs> Which would yeah. be the high tower. But, <laughs> but yeah, this it seems like a combination of the two. Yeah, I think so. And so Sam looks up at Gil and he's totally annoyed. <laughs> so annoyed. That is amazing, though. That's a lot of steps. Like, she's right to be blown away by that. Yeah, that's a ton of steps. And I think he's not really annoyed at her. I think he's extremely frustrated that the the maesters are not listening to him. Yeah. And he's feeling very helpless. And she's over here talking about steps. And he's like, no one is taking this shit seriously <clears throat> except for me. Yeah, and um, he's mad because they have him looking through these dumb fucking books when he thinks that all the answers to the important questions are like in that hidden room. When really they're in Gilly's hands. Right. That's the yeah, it's so funny. Um I'm trying to find my notes on this part. I have it right now. Sorry, you can keep keep uh, going on with Oh, that. that's okay. Um <laughs> so she goes, Guess how many windows there are in the great sept of Baylor? He's like, Well, none anymore. <laughs> she goes, that's true <laughs> oh my this god high septon high septon maynard he recorded everything he even recorded his own bowel movements yeah that's actually really funny we get more details about that in the books that's like a, a oh, really? great little book reference yeah this is true well almost the uh, the details are a little bit different in the books i actually found the quotes it's from a feast for crows samuel chapter one and i believe it's when he's in the um the library at castle black and he's he's looking through all the books in there and there's a little mouse that's trying to eat eat pieces of the books and he's he's freaking out because that he doesn't want to hurt the mouse who's just a poor little guy but he doesn't want it to destroy the books so the quote is as follows it's such a little thing, though. And hungry. How could he begrudge it a few crumbs? It's eating books, though. After hours, in the chair, Sam's back was stiff as a board, and his legs were half asleep. He knew he was not quick enough to catch the mouse. But it might be he could squash it. By his elbow rested a massive leather-bound copy of the Annals of the Black Centaur, Septon Jorquin's exhaustively detailed account of the nine years that Orbert Caswell had served as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. There was a page for each day of his term, and every one of which seemed to begin, Lord Orbert rose at dawn and moved his bowels, except for the last, which said, Lord Orbert was found to have died during the night. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> At least he didn't shit after he died. <laughs> and so then we get... Oh, that's the, true. The, the irony question. of that. Like, he wouldn't be able to record his last bowel movement. Oh, that's so fucked up. <laughs> 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 the irony. Oh, crazy. So this is where we get the question that shakes everyone to the core. Yes. What does annulment mean? It's when a man sets aside his lawful wife. <laughs> Maynard, sa Maynard says here that he issued an annulment for a Prince Ragger. Oh my and God. And remarried him to someone else at the same time in a secret ceremony in Dorne. Is that a common thing? <laughs> Very uncommon. And it's so funny. Sam seems like he's really focusing intently on what she's saying, but really he's just focused on how he's so annoyed. And it's like yeah. not until later on or something that it, does he realize what she said when he's like replaying it in his head or something. <laughs> and we see his frustration come out here because he interrupts her because these maesters, they sent me a task of preserving that man's 
window counting and annulments. He even repeats it. Yeah. Bowel movements for all eternity while the secret to defeating the Night King is probably sitting on some dusty shelf somewhere completely ignored. And I'm like, dude, you literally just ignored a secret that may be important to defeating (laughs) the Night King. (laughs) I have that note too. (laughs) He's talking about like a secret being ignored. Well, he's ignoring a secret. The secret that Jon Snow is Aegon Targaryen that may be the, the key fact in uniting all of the southern armies together to ride north to be able to, to handle the Night King. This may be the thing that solidifies the southern army. So like, this, I just thought that was so funny that he's talking about this secret to defeating the Night King being ignored while he's literally ignoring a secret like that. Yeah. And he, I love, he get, he just gets so pissed. He's like, we could all be, become slavering, murderous imbeciles enthralled to evil incarnate as long as we can have access to the full records of High Septim Maynard's 15,782 shits. Steps. Steps. That number was steps. And he looks so dismayed. And she's just smiling, like, just so innocently. Like, she's so cute in that moment. They just uncovered the most incredible secret on the planet. I know. And they just, like, gloss over it. And it's like, oh, my God. At, yeah. At some point, Sam's got to be like, wait, 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 wait. Prince Rhaegar annulment in Dorn, yeah. the Tower of Joy? Like, oh, my God. He what just, did we he, just learn? He puts it all together when he talks to Bran. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bran's like, he's really a sand. He was born in Dorne. And he's and, like, oh, my God. You know, no, he's not. He's he's a Targaryen. He's, he's a Targaryen. And, and Sam's like, are you sure? And he goes, well, why would this high septum? It was his private diary. Right. Like there was and that's no when reason. Bran's like, that's when Bran's like, wait, let me go back and review the footage again. And he goes back to Dorne and like gets up close and listens when Liana's whispering the name to, to, to uh, Ned, you know, his name is Aegon Targaryen. <laughs> <laughs> Robert will kill him if he finds out. You know it. Oh, man. So he, Sam is just done. He puts the quill down. He grabs all (laughs) the books and hands them to little, he grabs the book he was writing in and hands it to little Sam. And he gets his cloak and he walks out the door. And Sam, we we cut to the library. So he's walking and it's dark. He's going into full thief mode here. (laughs) Yeah, he's done he's donezoed he's going into the restricted section he unlocks the gate and he just starts pulling shit off the shelves yeah anything that he thinks could be useful he's just grabbing he's like anything that could potentially be valuable for this stuff he's like oh this is about the long night taking it oh that's about uh, you know like beyond the wall taking it (laughs) and then he goes to leave and he pauses just for a brief moment and he turns around and he glances back at the library. What was your interpretation of the look on his face at this moment? I think he always wanted to be a maester. He's always wanted to see this library. This is the life that he kind of wanted to live. And I feel like he feels that he has to abandon his dream to continue his purpose to help John defeat the Night King. Yeah. That he just has to let it go. That's for a good now. interpretation. There's a couple other angles, I think, too, that may be partially at play. What do you think? I think yours may be the most significant, which I hadn't even really considered, but I thought that he may have also felt like like he was sort of disrespecting his this like 
Mecca type location by stealing books from it. So he was feeling like, um, like a sense of sense of sadness, both in that he's disgracing the Citadel by stealing from it. And I think that he feels like that, like the useless maesters are disgracing the Citadel as well by not taking the threat seriously and like not doing everything they could and utilizing the power um, and the, the archives and information of the Citadel for good and to repel the threat from the North. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's like a bunch of stuff going on potentially, but I think that's the big one is that he's like, fuck, I, I always wanted to be here. And now like, you know, I, have I can't, to leave. but then again, he's like, I'm tired of, I'm done like reading of other men, better men's accomplishments. Right. So maybe, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a few things at play here. Definitely. Um, I think he would be fine reading about better men's accomplishments under different circumstances, but there's no time to do that right now. He feels like he has his mission and he has to kind of abandon his dream. Sure. Did that line ring a bell that. for you at all? The uh, better men's accomplishments? Randall Tarley says that to him at the dinner table. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He's like being influenced by his father still or something. Yeah. But he's going to, he is one of the better men, you know, so it'll be interesting to see the books that are written about his exploits. Yeah. So then we cut to the outside of the Citadel and they're loading up the wagon and Gilly and Sam are kind of already up and they're dressed for the road. And Sam climbs in and grabs the reins and Gilly asks him, you know, are you sure you want to do this? You've always wanted to be a maester. And that's where we get the line. Yeah. Um, And Sam I think he glances up at the at the the, the burning tower. Oh yeah, and then, totally. And then rides off, and it was like one last look of just like letting go because he has a bigger purpose to fulfill right now than becoming a maester. Yeah, definitely pretty uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, so that was my number two. Nice. It's my number two because of the huge revelation that we discover. Oh, I thought it was your number two because of all the bowel movements. <laughs> Sam and his shit problems. Yeah. Sam and the Citadel and poo. And poop. Poop. <laughs> Classic. So my number two is when Gendry actually meets John. Oh, nice. Okay. So earlier we had gotten Davos telling Gendry, like, the situation is already complicated enough. We don't want to have you talking about being the bastard son of Robert Baratheon, like adding to all the confusion (laughs) and the dynamics. (laughs) And uh, as they're approaching the cave, but now at Dragonstone again, uh, the the Dragonglass cave, Davos is basically reinforcing this message. He's like, the king's got a lot on his mind, right? We're leaving today. Gendry's like, I understand. (laughs) You don't have to worry. He's just saying, understood. I understand. You don't have to worry. <laughs> Davos is like, he doesn't need to be thinking about harboring the bastard of a dead king. <laughs> You're just Clovis, a smith who's come to pay his respect. <laughs> yeah, a smith who's what come to pay his respect name? before he heads off to work at the Winterfell Forges. So I love how Davos is just trying to save Gendry here to get him out of King's Landing, get him someplace with allies where he'll be safe and do his thing. And, you know, Davos is just such a good guy. And uh, given the fact that Robert and Ned were friends, uh, Winterfell would be a perfect place for him to feel safe potentially. And uh, 
Gendry seems to understand this better than Davos <laughs> as he's he's like telling him to just shut your fucking mouth and be Clovis right literally the first <laughs> thing <he's, laughs> the first thing he says when he meets John Davos sees John begging your pardon your grace and uh, he's glad to see that he's he's survived King's Landing and going to to bring Tyrion over there and he's returned and uh it, he starts to introduce da- introduce Gendry. He's like, "Your Grace, this is Clovis," and he's just like, "It's Gendry, Your Grace." <laughs> just totally comes out with it. Um, I'm Robert Baratheon's son. Well, bastard son. And John looks over at Davos like, "What the, like, fuck, what the fuck is fuck? going on here? Like, what the hell?" And Davos is honest about it. He's like, "He's like, he was meant to keep that to himself." Like, he outright says, "Like, we, he was going to lie to you." You know, like I told him to lie, basically. And, uh, I think John trusts Davos, Davos enough, though. Yeah, that I do too. Yeah, <laughs> that it was he was trying to protect him from additional stress because it's already a very stressful situation. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's understandable. Yeah. So uh, Gendry is so cool, man. He's just like he's like our fathers trusted each other. Why shouldn't we? And I'm just like, oh man, that's so beautiful and innocent and just like. Like it's so like such a like, northern type of attitude, kind of you know, simple and to the point and true. And <laughs> and uh, this was funny too because he's like, our fathers trusted each other, right? Why shouldn't we? And I'm like, oh shit! As awesome as that is, it's not true at all. Technically, John's father sort of betrayed your Did father, not, yeah, and then your father sort of killed his father and prevented John from ever even being able to meet his father. So. <laughs> So a little bit of drama there <laughs> because John's father isn't Ned who he thinks it is. It's Rhaegar and Robert and Rhaegar were enemies. Hilarious. Uh, and they sort of have, have this funny back and forth where John's like, oh, I saw your father once at Winterfell. And Gendry's like, hey, I met yours in my smith shop. And uh, John's like, you're a lot leaner than your, your. What does that remind you of? Oh, this, it, I, I forget. It's something from from a long time ago, right? I remember having known it at the time when this aired. It's when Robert Baratheon goes up to Ned Stark. Oh, and they hadn't seen each other he in goes, forever. You, you got fat. <laughs> you got and old. And Ned kind of like looks at his stomach like <laughs> yeah, yeah. hot calling the kettle black. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Oh, no, yeah. Ned says, you got old. And Robert goes, you got fat. And Ned looks at his belly. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That's what it was. So the, this little banter here is mimicking of that. Yeah. You know, you're a lot leaner. Well, you're a lot, you're a lot shorter. shorter. You're a lot shorter. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, because Sean Bean's like not a tall guy, is he? Like, I don't know. Let's look this up real quick. Sean Bean's 5'10". That's not short. That's pretty tall. And Kit Harrington is like 5'8". Allegedly. Okay. Allegedly. <laughs> it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger is like allegedly 6'2", but everybody who's met him in person says he's like 5'10", 5'11". Yeah. <laughs> There's like a big like conspiracy about it, theory about it. It's funny. Um. So yeah, I love this back and forth between the two of them and they kind of like, it's like for a second, there's a little bit of tension, you know, and John's smile fades away when Gendry says he's a lot shorter. And then they both like start laughing and they like, it's like, oh, these guys are like meant to be brothers, like hanging out with each other. You know, I just thought like, I was like, oh, John has like a peer, you know, like somebody who's his age and his, uh, like his understands what it's like to be a bastard of a yeah, nobleman. Exactly. So I was just like, man, this is cool, man. 
they could be, there could be legends written about this combo and (laughs) eventually, you know, totally. Um, so John's like, Oh, they're, they're laughing. And John's like, I grew up on story, hearing stories about them being together. And, and Gendry's like, all I ever knew is that they fought together and won. And I'm thinking, I E that means we can too. You know, he's saying like together, we can be powerful just like they were. And he's like, Serv Davos told me where you're going. Let me come with you. And uh, Davos is like, dude, what the fuck? I'm trying to save you. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you're not going beyond the wall. He's like, now you're even more likely to die. <laughs> you were fine in King's Landing for at least another week. <laughs> and now he's like going off beyond the wall like an idiot. <laughs> and uh Davos is like, don't be a fool. You're not a soldier. Right. And he's like, you know, but I am a fighter. And Jon Snow doesn't need a smith. With a, he's not going to be needing a smith with a sword like that. Look at that. As a smith, he yeah. recognizes a badass sword when he sees one. You know? yeah. <laughs> and Jon's like, do you know how to use a sword? And he's like, no. And then Jon's oh, like, well, that's a problem. Yeah, I prefer a hammer. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. And Davos vouches for him. He can handle himself after that display on the beach before with that <laughs> wild hammer swing, those wild hammer swings. So nice. John's like stoked about John's it. John's like, we could use the help. Fuck yeah. And uh, Davos is still trying to convince him not to to go. He's like, as my father used to say, it's better to be a coward for a minute than to be dead for the rest of your life. <laughs> it reminded quote. me of when he goes, don't mind me. I've just lived to a ripe old age. Yeah, that's like his next line, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is that is this episode. Oh, how yeah. funny. Yeah, uh, it's so funny. Gendry is appreciative to Davos, though. He, he recognizes that he, he's oh, saved his life twice. You know, once from the Red Woman and then the second time, like, from the madness in King's Landing, getting him back out. Um, Poor Davos, you know, he just doesn't want to see Gendry get hurt. He's he he's trying to save all the Baratheon kids that he can, you know? <laughs> the only one that's left that we know of. Yeah. So that's it. All I got for number two. How about... Um, how about you? Anything else you want to add about that? No, I'm glad that Gendry and John are together. I think they have a deep understanding of each other right off the bat. Yeah. You can just tell that they instantly connect. Yeah. It's yeah, funny. I've had moments like that before where I'll meet somebody and like immediately be like, like best Besties. friends with them. Yeah. All right. So, um, so I think that was, my number two. We already covered my number one. What's uh, what's your number one? My number one is Baelish is still alive. Oh, snap. Bay gives a girl a coin. Yes. Yes. You so, get to talk about your theory now, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a theory. He could very well be dead. And I just, I was super excited. I called it when... The scene where he actually dies, I called it at the very beginning when Sansa started, um, you know, naming all the crimes. I looked over at Dave and I was like, she's talking about Lord Baelish. Like, he's going to die here and now. Yeah, and he's like, no way. Yeah, and then, you know, slice. But what caught me kind of off guard the second time I watched season seven was Littlefinger has never begged for his life. Right. He has, he didn't beg for his life when John was strangling him. He didn't beg for his life when 
Ned was strangling him. He really didn't do anything when Cersei had her guards like threaten him, like, you know, take two steps back, seize him, you know, all that stuff. Yep. And he quivers like a little boy in his <laughs> death scene. And it's just so out of character for him. And then the third time I watched season seven, I finally was watching it where I could like have the volume up higher. Cause we usually watch it at night in Justin's rooms, like right next to our living room. So we try to keep the volume like kind of low. Right. Um, when he hands that maiden, um, what looks like payment. Cause at, at first you could probably think like, Oh, he's, she's one of his spies, you know, and he's paying her. Yep. But before he hands her the coin, she says, your time's up. Oh, what the and, hell? And yeah. And I was like, your time is up. And this is right after, you know, last episode when Bran says, you know, chaos is a ladder. Right. I think that. So here's where I go with my theory. I think when Bran said that, Baelish realized that he's in danger. And. The oh, I forgot to mention, too, that when he doesn't, um, you know, he never begs for his life, even even when he talks to Sansa and she goes, you know, even now, like I could have Brienne cut you down. Mm -hmm. And he basically she goes, you know, he basically says, then then I'll die. Right. You know, right. like, yeah, he's he like does, ready to die type thing. He he never wavers or quivers concerns. Yeah. He just stays Squeals. even keeled. And so when he when he talks to Sansa about imagining everything like the worst thing that could happen, then you're always prepared. Well, the worst thing that could happen to Lord Baelish is Sansa turning her back on him and wanting to, to kill him. And he's had reason to suspect that. Yeah. And we have also the scene with Baelish watching Arya fight Brienne and Arya kind of like looks up at him and he kind of like nods and bows at her. Like, I know those tactics. I know your, your yeah. fighting style. <laughs> Ooh. We also back a, a few seasons ago, discover that Lord Baelish's family is, family from, is Bravos. from Bravos. His so, sigil, his old, his father's sigil was the Titan of Bravos. Yeah. He and talking about sigils, um, he created his own sigil, which is a mockingbird yes. and mockingbirds take on the sound of other birds. And what do faceless men do? Ooh, they take on the faces of other birds of other people. <laughs> so I started thinking to myself and actually Sir Patrick sent me this awesome video, which I didn't even know existed. And it kind of like better explains it than I'm doing now. <laughs> um, but basically Baelish is concerned that Sansa wants him dead. He realizes when Bran tells him that chaos is a ladder, that Bran can see things that no one else could have seen. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to his faceless man spy and hands her an iron coin after she says, your time is up. And she takes his place and Right. We have seen that the faceless man can wear 
living people's faces of living people. Right. Like Arya. And her death pays for Baelish's life. Which is what Jock and Hagar says. And we hear that a lot in this um, whole series is only death death can pay for life. life. So this faceless man dies in Baelish's place and that gives him a second chance. Yes. So the reason why we see him groveling at his death scene is because it's not Baelish. Right. It's the faceless man. Now, I will say the only thing other than just his pure survival is how is he going to like come back into the into the fold? Um, He's declared himself for House Stark. He doesn't have his own army and Cersei's pissed off at him. So that would be my only like chink in my own theories. <clears throat> Excuse me. My own theories. Like, where does he armor. Go from here? <laughs> like, where does he go from here? So, yeah. I mean, Littlefinger is the slimiest, smartest, most kind of conniving character. And he's really been the one that has driven the story forward as far as like the drama, like from, pinning the Lannister yeah, right the and bat. the Starks. So it seemed too easy for him to die like this way. Like he would have weaseled his, he's weaseled his way out of everything else. Mm-hmm. Like how could he not weasel his way out of this too? Yeah. How could he have not seen this coming? So that's why this is my number one, because I, while he could very well be dead or could be alive, the question remains, you know, even George R. R. Martin says, you know, like the main character of the story, like doesn't have to be loved or likable. They just have to be interesting. And that's right. what Baelish has kind of been this whole time is this really interesting character that does things kind of out of the ordinary and propels the story forward. So we Definitely. may not see him again. But we may. It would be and so I'd be cool. Curious. If we did. Oh man! Like all of a sudden he shows up and you know like kills Cersei out of the blue and the whole kingdom falls to the Night King and he's finally king of the ashes, which is what Varys calls him in front of the Iron Throne back in season one. Oh damn! Will you be king of the ashes? You know, you'd very well be king of the ashes if you could just sit on that throne. Damn. So, um, also. He has tricked Arya in this scene to spy on him spying on her. Right. How crazy is that? Um, which causes causes, you know, Arya to find the the scroll. Do you think that she she doesn't know that he knows she's spying on him? Like, do you think she's actually falling for this, or do you think that she's playing into his game? Like She's spying on him, spying on her, spying on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could very well be. I think, <laughs> I think Arya <laughs> is very confident in her faceless man's skills, but she hasn't spent a lot of time around Baelish. So I'm not sure she really realizes what a, what a slime, slimy snake he is. And yeah. That's hard for me to say, but it could be, it could be possible. So, yeah, I mean, Uh, we can talk about like, she's spying on him. She sees, she sees, this is what's interesting too in my theory. Arya sees him give her the coin. Right. 
and she and, knows like about faceless shit yes. <laughs> faceless faceless stuff so that's kind of another kind of little hole in my theory is if Arius heard her say your time's up and he hands her a coin that might cue her into you know maybe he's using a faceless man and it's hard to tell but I it would be really cool to see Baelish again in season eight yes gotta love Bay. yeah but you know we cut down to the the courtyard and um Baelish is talking to Lord Glover and Lord Royce and we cannot hear what they're saying right unfortunately I turned it up super super loud (laughs) (laughs) can't can't hear what they're saying um and Arya kind of disappears behind the corner and continues kind of stalking Baelish and she's walking down the hallway and she overhears Baelish talking to Maester Walken. Yeah. Walken has found the scroll. It took some researching. Maester Lewin's archives are thorough. And he says, are you sure this is the only copy in Winterfell? Yeah. And I was thinking, like, why would Walken even be doing this for Baelish? Looking through the archives of the scrolls of Winterfell for, a, for, for an outsider? Why would Wolken even do this without knowing for sure that Sansa had given approval? That's a good question, because Baelish does say Lady Stark thanks you for your service. Right. And he's just taking Baelish's word for it. And obviously for it. he says that to like to lure Sansa in. Sorry, Arya, because it's it's the letter that that Sansa had written to um to Rob, basically, from when she was in King's Landing, you know, like. Like, father was a traitor, come down here and bend the knee, etc. Um, come, you know, so so Baelish is saying it, it was on Sansa's behalf locating this last copy of this to make Arya think that Sansa's trying to cover up the information on the scroll. Because he knows that she's around the corner listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he knows that she's there because then, you know, Baelish goes into his room and then comes back out of the room. And then shuts the door because yep. he's going to hide it in the um, the mattress. Yep. And I think Arya thought to look there because go back to the conversation with Tyrion and Sansa that Arya used to hide sheep shit. Sheep shit in. Oh, sheep shift. Sheep sheep shift in <laughs> Sansa's mattress. So Arya like. Knows. Wait, that was Tyrion and Sansa talking. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay, so yeah, so that's how she knows that about this. Like, so that's why she's spot. kind of like <laughs> looks like you know maybe other people cut holes in their mattresses to hide shit in. Right. That's funny. That's so funny. Sheep shift. <laughs> because then Arya goes into Baelish's room and like looks around. When she walks back out, Baelish is stalking Lurking. her. Oh, son of a. And bitch. I don't think Arya knows that he's there. Yeah, that's the impression we get. We're we're definitely supposed to think she doesn't know. Whether or not she knows is another matter. Yeah. Because what to what degree are the Stark girls playing Peter Baelish here? You know what I mean? Well, what I kind of noted is any time that they have a tense conversation, they are in a public place or the door is open. Oh, like um, in Sansa's 
chambers or, or yes later in this episode. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, like you've always liked nice things and the doors open so little the doors can open so his listen. spies or little finger can hear their conversation. Yeah, good call, good call. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is like what part of what amount of this is just acting between the two as they're trying to just set him up so they can take him out. <laughs> I think they do it on purpose in public places. Nice. I like I like that on. idea. I hope that's true. Yeah, so that's, you know, kind of my number one. I, I like the theory. It's funny after Sir Patrick sent me the video, it's he actually tagged it in one of our um, Facebook feeds. Nice. So it's out on our page somewhere. But, you know, it's it's a good theory. I, they explain it way better in the video than I did. But um, it solidified a lot of what I picked up on over the few times that I have watched season seven. Mm-hmm. And it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, there are certainly some holes in the theory and, you know, he could actually be dead, but there's a lot writing on that. He could possibly be alive. I mean, why would that girl say your time is up? What's the point of under knowing that, Baelish has ties to Bravos, and we know that he has other ties to Bravos too because he was always coming up with money randomly when he was um ah true the um the treasurer what's the name of the uh the um master of coin master of coin, so you know they would say like oh Littlefinger would just snap his fingers and money would appear yeah maybe he and had supposedly he was borrowing bank. it from the crown but maybe he was borrowing it from the iron bank so we'll see my only big question to my own theory or this theory i guess i guess other people have picked up on it too is other than pure survival of just not dying how could he pop back into the show where would he fit in yeah, good Season question. Eight. Good question. I think it'd be awesome to get him back. <laughs> it'd be such a twist, like right at the end, like he like pops out and <laughs> does some murder Cersei. Yeah, your brother, and pushes Cersei off the red keep or something. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that's my number one. Oh, maybe kind of a different number. Maybe one Jamie week. will kill Cersei, but then it'll be Littlefinger with Jamie's face on, and then it'll oh. pull it off and be like, "Your oh, brother, <laughs> you know who you thought I was, Cersei." And he pushes her, and then takes off the mask. Your brother. <laughs> Damn. We shall see. We totally. shall see. <laughs> so, did we already do your number one? We did. My number one was the all the people like uh, being reunited. Oh, up at yes. the wall again. Up at the East Watch. Yep. Cool. Although there was one little bit of that we didn't talk about, which was just when um, when John and crew arrive at East Watch and first run, in, run into Tormund. <laughs> and Tormund learns <laughs> that John is planning on going north of the wall. And he says to Davos, isn't it your job to talk him out of stupid fucking ideas like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been failing at that job of late. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I love all these characters coming together, just like these combinations you never would have imagined all the so many years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and Tormund's like, how many queens are there? Two, Two. and you need to convince, (laughs) and you need to be convinced that the one with the dragons are the one who fucks her brother. (laughs) Both. (laughs) Both. (laughs) How many men did you bring? 
And he looks at the table like this is it. <laughs> the big the woman. The big woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love John's reaction too. He smiles. He loves the way that Tormund loves yeah. Brand. He loves it. Yeah. It's great. I, oh, I don't know. I don't know why people think it's like inappropriate or something. Like if if I if Brand was like bothered by it, she would say something or she would pummel him. That's what she well, does. I think you she know, is bothered by it. But, but I mean, like not like super bothered. Yeah, I, w- I think it's innocent. You know, I think it's totally innocent. Yeah, I think he just just thinks that she's like a, a living goddess. You know, <laughs> like everything he would imagine like the perfect woman to be is Brienne, basically. <laughs> uh I love that picture where it's like this strong guy, like standing up tall with the, the woman like crouched down, like holding onto his leg, adoringly looking up at him, but the faces are reversed and it's Brienne is a strong guy and Tormund is like the little woman. Like <laughs> I posted that on Facebook the other day. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> I love that picture. That's so funny. Um, so, so, uh, Davos is like, uh, he's like, well, you you guys are going north. I'll be staying behind. I'm a liability. And Tormund's like, yes, you are. <laughs> Davos is like, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. That, it reminded uh, me of too when uh, Davos pulls out the sword and he's like, I apologize for what you're about to see <laughs> when John yeah. is dead. And yeah. uh, Tormund looks at John and he's like, what the, you really want to go out there again up north? And John's like, yeah, I got, I have to, you know? And Tormund's like, well, you're not the only ones. And that's when we go to see Houndy Hound and crew. Yeah. Clegane. Yes, Clegane. Definitely. Boros. So shall we move on to notes? Yes. Oh, I, I, I forgot to mention um, before when we were talking about... The, uh, sorry, the scroll. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh <my laughs> total Rick and Morty style. <laughs> I mean, we got we got to get get the hell out of here and go take care of business. It's important. Come on, Morty. Oh no, Rick. Rick will be talking in mid sentence. He'll just throw a big burp out and like we can just continue talking. <laughs> oh, I forgot to. What I was thinking is um, that scroll that Sansa had written about how Ned conspired with Robert's brothers to against Joffrey and tried to steal the throne and everything. Uh, who is it? Lewin had said Sansa's hands, Cersei's words. Oh yeah, right? that's right. I thought that was just like a kind of a cool little quote that people at the time, Arya wasn't there, you know, and didn't have that information that it was clear at the time that, yeah, Sansa had written the letter, but it was Cersei who was telling her what to say. So out of context and without that interpretation from the wise maester of the time, if Arya reads this now, it could easily seem like Arya would, had betrayed the family. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Okay. So we're, what are we moving on to notes now? Notes. What do you got first? Beginning of the episode? I have the beginning of the episode. Nice. <laughs> As if Jamie and Bronn could have survived that. Yeah. I mean, they're in the <laughs> middle of a giant battle. There's thousands, like you said, like a hundred thousand Dothraki everywhere. <laughs> There's like, you know, all like just people everywhere. They had jump into a lake or into the, into this river right next to the freaking dragon and pop up like a mile away. <laughs> and Bronn somehow can drag Jamie's 500 pound armor up uh, to the, the surface. Right. Yeah. So none of this is like believable. Um, this is one of the bigger flaws in the series as well. I would say just the believability yeah. of this little, little, uh, transition here. I have to agree. 
A, that the water was so deep. B, that Daenerys and her team of thousands of people and scouts didn't see them trying to leave when he had just attempted to assassinate the queen. (laughs) You know, that Drogon didn't just like fucking roast them when they popped up popped up for air (laughs) you know like it's not like they i think they got carried down the river a little bit it must have pop up in the smoke is like way in the background but if you look at the 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 end of the last episode they're just floating straight down they're not being taken by the current at all so like if the current was dragging them down the river at the end of the last episode it would be more believable but not only does he have to counteract the weight of the armor to carry jamie up back up to the surface but he also has to swim laterally (laughs) away far enough so that drogon doesn't spot them come back up for air and finish the job of taking out this guy who just tried to fucking kill his mama <laughs> yep you know that's I mean? true so yeah whatever well <laughs> it is Let what it, it is <laughs> so it's just kind of funny you got to throw in criticism where it's deserved right we can't just praise it all the time i yeah i'm glad we do that because there while it's overall a pretty perfect show there are some little little holes in places and naturally with any TV series, you're going to get that for sure. For sure. So Jamie Braun drags Jamie up to the surface and then they swim to the edge of the bank of this river, the Blackwater rush. And he pulls him up up onto the shore. (laughs) They climb up onto the shore and uh, Jamie's on his back and he says, you could have killed me. And I'm wondering what the fuck is he talking about? Are you talking about? Like, does he mean like, I know you're sick of me. You could have left me for dead. <laughs> like, or is he saying like, you could have killed me by dumping me into the water in my armor? Cause he was about to die that, anyway. I think that is what he's referencing. So he's here. just, but it's he's, like, you're going to get crisped alive by a dragon right. or drown. So he's just like delusional, kind of like Cersei in his own way here. Like not acknowledging various elements of truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I guess. So, um, so yeah, Bronn's like, what the fuck were you thinking, dude? Jesus, you just charged a dragon. And Jamie's Did you not like, see the dragon in between <laughs> you and her. Yeah. And he's just like, he's just like, looks, he's like, dude, he looks like he was ready to die. You know, like, damn, like pretty intense, man. He's like ending the war by killing her. That's what I was trying to do. And it's just like, just like the checky lion. Like we talked about last week, like that Osgray had to fucking, give his life to, to kill the, the Lannister that was trying to take their land. And Jamie was doing the same thing here, trying to ready to die in the process if he needed to. And, uh, Bron's like, listen to me, cunt. <laughs> like, Whoa. <laughs> He's like, till I get what I'm owed, a dragon doesn't get to kill you. You don't get to kill you. Only I get to kill you. And I'm thinking to myself, like none of that friendship element that he had with Tyrion, where he'd like put himself on the line, not just for gold, you know, like, but because he liked Tyrion to some extent, none of that is here with Jamie. No, he does not feel that way about Jamie at all. Not anymore. And his guy liner is looking super fierce. (laughs) And, uh, his pure motivation here is his castle and what he's owed, you know? And like, Woof, it's just intense. He calls him a cunt. <laughs> and, uh, Only I get to kill you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Jamie is just terrified of the dragons and of Danny's might. He's sitting there in shell, total shell shock. 
And that he's, was only one of them. Yeah, and she has two more. If she decides to use them, to really, really use them. use them. Yeah, and Bronn's like, you're fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> Don't you mean we're <laughs> fucked? No, I do not. Dragons are where our partnership ends. I love that line. And uh, later on in the episode, I came back to this part in my notes and added a note when Jamie's talking with Cersei and everything about this, um, I'm thinking maybe dragons are where Jamie and Cersei's partnership ends too. Cause he's just Possibly. like, he saw the horror and the fury and the mayhem and the destruction caused by, by Drogon here. And I think, I don't know if like with all the, the, the shit talking that people have been saying, like Olena saying Cersei will be the end of him, all these people talking negatively, about Cersei to Jamie, sort of like the way that people are talking negatively about Danny to Tyrion. Um, and he bails on her. You know, I think this is like the last straw. He's not willing to put everything on the line for somebody who doesn't respect him and treat him properly um, to when he knows he'll be roasted by dragon fire, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, dragons are where our partnership ends. Bronze, like, fuck that, dude. I'm not going to be hanging around here when those dragons show up and start roasting King's Landing and that made me think that like after Jamie leaves King's Landing and bails on Cersei we don't know what happens with Bronn that's true you know like so um please forgive him Drogon <laughs> Bronn come and join Tyrion that's what uh that's what I hope I hope so too yeah I want Bronn and Tyrion Definitely. And Jamie's Brarian. <laughs> Brarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh or Tron. Tron's pretty cool. Tron. <laughs> uh, so uh Jamie's freaking out still and he's like, I have to tell Cersei about this fucking madness. And Bron's like, Shh, may as well jump as back well in there. Yeah, she is not gonna be happy about this. I don't know. Yeah. And um Jamie nice. Jamie uh Bron gets up and walks away and Jamie just continues sitting there just like gazing off into the distance at the smoke and fire from the battle. He got a really close look at Drogon too, running up towards him. Super close. Yeah. Almost as close as John gets this, this episode. And I can't believe that was not in any of our top five. I thought for sure it was going to be in yours, oh, wow. which is why I didn't pick it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. There's so many exciting things. There's, this episode, a, lot of, you know? there's a lot of story movement. Yeah. Um, here a lot a lot of dialogue scenes this episode yeah that should have been in our top five though that or you know mine at least that the john I was, it, it would have been my number one but i felt like because i had talked about my little finger theory that i should make that my number one mm, gotcha gotcha but you know this this is one of my favorite scenes probably in the whole series so yeah, maybe totally. i should have added it somewhere else but i didn't well, uh, we'll we'll get there in a second though I just wanted to say that when, when Jamie's sitting on the shore there, I think that he's having an existential crisis and he's like thinking about all of his options and how much Cersei means to him and what he's willing to, 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 to give, to be with her and whether he's willing to get roasted alive and he has to decide mm -hmm. is Cersei worth it. And I feel like that's part of what's going on in his mind as he's sitting there after Bronn walks away. Extremely conflicted. Yeah. So, from there, we move on to the crest on top of the cliff face at Dragonstone, correct? Yes. And here it is. Holy fuck. How cool is this scene, right? Oh, man. Dude, Drogon comes flying down, soaring down, and just 
boom, lands on the cliff near John. We had um, a Game of Thrones in history back saying that the dragons were portrayed as wyverns in this. But they have like. Drogon has like little claws on the elbows of his wing. Yeah. So interesting, right? Yeah, they're like arm it, wings. They're like arm wings. I didn't I I was not familiar with what wyverns were. So remindful of pterodactyl. Do wyverns have those little claws? I guess on their wings? I guess they can. Um okay. although in in A Song of Ice and Fire there are another species of dragons called wyverns which are oh, different than these wyverns than these which would be typical, you know, wyverns. Yeah, they'd live down in like uh, Sotheros, I think and they're smaller and they do not breathe fire. There's an interesting video called like Mysterious Places in in of a, of a Song of Ice and Fire by Alt Shift X, I think. It's worth watching. It's oh, really cool. fucking cool. I'll I'll link it. On our Facebook nice. page, yeah. I love how Drogon kind of runs up yeah. on John. He lands and you see like his landing gear like like as a helicopter lands. And then he just fucking charges up on him. And he like, he's like really like hustling along. And he's like, screams right in, <laughs> in John's face and everything. I know. So John cool. is just like, I don't know what to do. I yeah. think I just pissed my pants. And Drogon just keeps getting closer and closer. Like edging right up to John's face. And uh, like stops right in front of him and John reaches up to take his glove off of his hand. And how could you not want to touch one of those? Oh, my God. It's so fucking cool. Yeah, I know. Like this and, mythical creature right in front of you. And it's, I, I thought it was funny how dirty his hand is, too. Oh, I noted that. So I was like, he needs to wash his hands and clean those fingernails, boy. <laughs> so funny, like, under his fingernail. Yeah. And Danny's kind of craning her head because, like, the way that Drogon is structured, she can't see what's going on exactly at this moment. So he, she sees that they're, like, face to face, basically, but she doesn't really see what's happening. So John takes off the glove and, like, reaches out towards Drogon. And Drogon gets closer and brings his face right up to him. And he just slowly touches his face and Drogon's well, lip that, is whole like... Did you like, see his teeth? Like yeah. he's baring his teeth at him and he has like yeah. teeth like up in his gums. Like his what are those? Extra teeth coming down. Oh yeah, it was so cool, man. And, and like his whole oh lip God. is like moving up and down as... as he's like, like growling at him. I, he's, I wouldn't say he's growling. It seemed more like purring to me. That's true. Yeah, it could be that. Like where the dragon, it's like, it's like he sees its family. He recognizes, he smells that Targaryen blood. And this is like, it's really unique. His nostrils remind me of a horse's nostrils. Yeah, very very similar for for sure. Um, And the long snout like a horse as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right when John touches Drogon here, this is the second time where we get the Danny and John musical theme playing. A beautiful and sad song, the song of ice and fire. I think we should take note of it here. Such a beautiful melody. And going upwards. Bending high in the dragon style. And in this note here, when it goes down. Oh, so good. 
back down to the root to finish. As Drogon flies off. Thanks again to Lord Nick of House Wiccans for pointing out the Danny John melody and the locations where we can find and hear it. So John manages to touch him. And Danny has tried doing this so many times and had Drogon leave and fly away even before she's able to touch him like at the top of the pyramid at Marine. It's not always a guarantee that even Danny can touch touch Drogon. You know what I mean? So having her most fearsome dragon, Drogon, be submitting to to Jon Snow. Yeah. And allowing him to touch his face. Drogon um, knows who the rightful king of the seven kingdoms is. <laughs> and so there's a there comes this moment moment where Drogon's neck ends up in just the right angle so that Danny can actually see John touching Drogon's face. And jo- Drogon and and Danny must be like Wow, this what? is nuts. Yeah, she's like There's so something really surprised special by this. about him. Yeah, definitely. And we get that shot of Drogon's eye yeah. like looking right at John and Blinking. it has like that inner um that inner uh like eyelid, eyelid that yeah. kind of goes from right to left over his eye yeah, it's and so then cool. the eyelid closes. It's so realistic cuz a lot of a lot of animals have that. Yeah, like, fish, birds. Cats have it. Cats do too. Oh man, mm-hmm. it's wild. Yeah, so creepy. So, and and then it shows John watching all of this, looking into Drogon's eye, and oh just my gosh, and his, his scales like he has like little like bluish hints to the scales. Yeah, and oh, just man. like there's oh man, like yeah, like just the way his lip is moving, and you can see like the skin under John's fingers and John just looks entranced he, and in he, awe. He like sighs like, Oh my God. And like I think he he's him. equally like in awe of Drogon and just amazed that Drogon is letting him touch his face, like runs right yeah. up to him. Like, like, like this is family, you know, he's very accepting of John. Maybe he feels pulled to them too, in a weird way. I'm sure he does. You know, he must you know, well, how could like, you not, right? Because, I mean, if you see a dragon, like, running up on you like that, my first instinct is not to pull off my glove and touch him. Uh, he's you know he's what I mean? badass, though. The meat is bloody tough, especially with John. <laughs> the meat is bloody tough. <laughs> you know? <laughs> especially with John. I mean, Rob was pretty tough, too, but John is next level. Yeah. So So, uh, this is I think this is another thing that Danny sees here that she's going to remember when she learns that John is truly Aegon Targaryen. There's the fact that John doesn't like what he's good at, which is killing, which reminded her of Rhaegar, I'm pretty sure, last episode. And then now there's the fact that the dragons are basically accepting John as family like immediately. Like, (laughs) you know, and so I think these are two very significant things to Danny that are going to stick out when she learns the alleged truth of Jon Snow's true identity. And she's going to have these, a series of like a realization where all of these things that she's noticing are falling into place and she realizes the truth of it. Yeah. Search your feelings, Daenerys. You know it to be true. I know. Somehow, I've always known. Then you know why I have to face him. 
She looks no. so surprised and Drogon kind of, you know, finally John just like releases his hand off of Drogon and Drogon kind of turns and looks back at Danny like, yeah, get down from here and talk to this guy. Yeah. He needs to talk to him. And she, she hops down like, wow, like kind of like blown away by what just happened also. And uh, I let Justin watch this scene because he loves dragons. Nice. Oh my God. He was like a big black dragon. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. And, um, and he goes, look, 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 look at the dragons. He has like a little stutter. <laughs> look, 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 look. It's <laughs> look at the dragons, mommy. It's amazing. It <laughs> is so cool. When he flies cool off, too. he's yeah, like, dude, oh, it's a big dragon. The way that they did that, the way that they pulled that off, how he kind of like jumps up into the air mm. and you can see like the skin like tightening up around his chest as his rib cage like, his like extends contract. outwards. Yeah, and his muscles. And the, I don't know how they did it, but somehow they made the physics of this look believable to me. And I was impressed. Completely by believable. That. Like very very serious accomplishment that they were able to take this and make it look real. So it's super windy up on that cliff. We've noted that a few times, but yeah. when Drogon flaps his wings first, John's cloak flies up. <laughs> awesome. Love so, little I mean, details like that. that like really. Yeah. Keep you I mean, in the I think moment. they just superimpose like that perfect timing that yeah, like the wind from Drogon, wind. like gave him an extra like flip of his cloak. Totally. Totally. They're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, that's not the word I was thinking, but yeah. (laughs) Gorgeous beasts. They're not beasts to me. No matter how big they get or how How terrifying. (laughs) To everyone else. They're my children. Yeah, and that's interesting too, like the way she says that. And John doesn't really know what to say to that. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really directly respond to her saying they're my children. So that made me wonder how much of the story does he know? Is he like in his mind, he's like, um, you're like, you, you birthed them (laughs) or does he know like that she hatched them in a fire, like in the pyre of Drogo? Like, what does he know? What does he not know? He knows nothing. I would probably think that he does not know that. Because he's up at the wall, the wall <laughs> at, at the time that sh- this is all going on when she hatched or birthed. But I mean, there have to be birth. legends about this spreading throughout the Seven Kingdoms. People know she has dragons. They don't know how. But the Night's Watch kind of remains like away from all of that. Yeah, but he hasn't. I mean, he's been at Winterfell. He's been with Stannis. He, he's, he's heard about the Dragon Queen. He's heard about the Dragon Queen, but I don't think... That it was, I don't know when. When were when would have there been time to talk about how they were? Birthed? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. We can default. Jon Snow knows nothing. We'll say <laughs> <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, nice. So John changes the subject kind of, and he's like, "Well, you weren't you weren't gone for very long," and she's like, "No." And I have fewer enemies than I did yesterday. Fewer Yeah, exactly. Enemies. Proper grammar rules from Dragonstone. If we know anything, that's one thing we definitely know. <laughs> Maybe I need to spend a few days at Dragonstone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John, again, isn't, like, doesn't say anything. And so she's like, what? And like, you don't, you're, not, you're not sure how you feel about that yet? And he's like, nah, no. <laughs> like, you kind of roasted people with your dragons and shit. 
And she's and like, that's dude, fair. yeah, but she makes a really fucking good point here. Like a very eloquent and well-articulated argument. I would say I'm in, uh, she's like, listen, how many people did your army kill taking Winterfell back from the Boltons? He's like thousands. And she's like, yeah, we both want to help people. Sometimes we can only do that from a position of strength. Sometimes strength is terrible. And uh, I like how she uses the word terrible. Yeah, I love that too. It's perfect word for it. Like, uh, like they don't they say like the terrible wrath of God or two like yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, something like that. So um, it's a good point. And plus, like they both want to help people. You can do that from a position of strength. But Danny has dragons, and with with that, it gives her the capability that John didn't have beforehand. Where you know how like Tywin tried to prevent the slaughter of the thousands of tens of thousands of people by killing a few people at dinner with the red wedding. Mm-hmm. Danny has done essentially the same thing by lighting up just that one ship in the bay at Marine and letting everybody else know resistance is futile. I feel like that with the dragons, Danny could make an example of a few people and prevent way more casualties from occurring than would have otherwise occurred. You know what I mean? Kind of like at the field of fire, how, how, Torrin Stark had learned that all these people were roasted by the dragons and he decided to kneel to save the lives of his people. I feel like instead of fighting these battles, Danny has the capability to potentially prevent a lot of battles from happening by just being flashy with the dragons off the bat. You know what I mean? Yes, I have to agree. Yeah. So it's interesting. And, um, so, so I think John kind of understands that argument, but Danny here get, remembers what she had heard in the throne room that day they met. And she, she asks him and we talked about it earlier. He doesn't answer, but she asks when you, when you first came here, Sir Davos said you took a knife in the heart for, for your people. <laughs> Sir Davos gets carried away. <laughs> yeah. And then boom, she's like, so it's a figure of speech. And then they get interrupted and Jorah's there. So yeah, we covered that already. So what do you got next for notes? Or is there anything else you want to add about John and Danny and the dragon and all that? Oh, it's just, I can't believe it's not in our top five. I know. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Fail. Epic fail. Epic fail. Top five fail. I failed. (laughs) Well, you intentionally left it off yours. So I'm going to blame it on you. Okay. It's all my fault. You can blame it on me. You thought I would have it though. And I didn't live up to that though. So you can blame it on me. I thought for sure you would have it. And so that's why I decided to go with Littlefinger because I thought to myself, because that wasn't, it was super important, which is why I made it my number one, but it was between that and the dragon scene. And I figured you would have the dragon scene and definitely not Littlefinger. So that's why I, so it's actually kind of your fault, Duncan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I knew you'd have Littlefinger. So I left that for you. (laughs) Yes. So where are we next? We're up at the uh, Citadel, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. We're not at the Citadel yet. We're at Ravens at Winterfell. Yes, so Bran sends his ravens. Did you know that ravens' eyes actually blink white sometimes? Oh, I did not. They have like a little third, like little eyelid that is white. Kind of like we were just talking about, like with the Mm -hmm. dragon. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we we see up in the weirwood tree all the ravens. Their eyes are washing white, and we know that Bran is, robo-Bran is connecting to the ice network and they leave from winterfell and fly up to east watch and then fly past the wall 
Yeah, I think this is actually where we first see East Watch in this episode. Yes, I believe you're correct. So they fly over the wall and what a great, like, just way to see the landscape of like where they're shooting all of this. So beautiful. Yeah, truly. (laughs) And they go over kind of the crest of this hill and they come down and thousands and thousands of dead men are marching south. Oh, so many. And you see they fly so they fly down so close to them. I know, I know. I think Brand's <laughs> I think Bran is scanning for Hodor. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and I noted that I did not see the giants in this image either. Interesting. There were no giants that I could make out. And I did scan myself for Hodor and to my dismay I could not find him. Oh man, I hope we get undead Hodor. That'd be so mm. cool, man. If he like breaks Arya's neck or something. So what I did note is, do you know where the Night King is standing? Yeah, it's in that crest that becomes, um, is that, is that an important point next episode? Yes, that's where John and the Magnificent Seven fight off all the, it's the, it's the center of the lake. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was or not. It looked, it it looked like it. It definitely is. It also looks like the thing that Drogon was standing on in this episode as well. That rocky outcropping. Yeah, like a random rock sort of in the similar. <laughs> jetting out. Uh. And the Night King looks up at all the ravens and they all wig out and fly in all separate directions. Yeah, he makes eye contact with Bran. <laughs> and he pops right out of his vision and Maester Walken standing right there and he looks at him and he goes, ravens. We need to send ravens. Yeah, and this is interesting because Maester Wolken is sitting there watching Bran in his warging state. And so I think he's curious. Well, he's probably freaked out because everything that he's learned at the Citadel and shit is like wargs don't exist. These are just tales, you know, and stuff like that. Like back in the day with Maester Lewin, um, he was talking about how all this stuff is nonsense and wargs don't exist and everything like that, right? So we even get the other Maesters discounting what Wolken is saying later in the episode because they're all like, like, I th- like none of this stuff is real, you know? And they were like, I thought, you know, Maester Wolken, like he, he, I remember him as having a keen mind. Like what the hell's going on here? Right. He was timid though. Timid. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just interesting. It's interesting. Neat to see a Maester being exposed to these things that they, uh, believe kind of scoff at. Yeah. So it could be foreshadowing the Citadel, <laughs> like the, the, like, uh, the, the night King like landing at the Citadel or something, you know, and those guys having to confront something that they don't believe in either. I'd, I'm nervous for the Citadel, man. Yeah. Since there's just so many things that George references about history, I feel like it's a parallel to the Alexandria library and I'm worried it could get roasted or something like that. That sucks. Nice. I think we're at the Citadel next note. Yes, we are. They're reading the letter that immediately um is we get from Bran so this is a it's 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 a time jump and it's evidence that things that we're seeing aren't always like necessarily perfectly in sequence so this makes me say give slack to the next episode beyond the wall where Daenerys shows up with the dragons in the perfect time the timing is not shown in order for that <laughs> yeah it makes sense I'm t- I swear uh so yeah we they're they're reading the letter and 
Sam is over there doing his thing and they're talking about how prophecies of doom are never in short, short supply, especially when winter comes and how they put very little stock in this in it themselves. We don't know what it, it is yet. But then Ebros is talking about how he remembers Wolken. And uh, but another as another maester mentions, the uh, the North has dulled many good maesters wits. Whether it's the cold or the drink or the company, who knows? And I'm like, these smug bastards. And they're all chuckling. And granted, it does sound ridiculous. The idea, as Maester One over here says, a crippled boy claims to have seen dead men on the march beyond the wall thanks to the magical <laughs> help of a raven with three eyes. It does. It sounds ridiculous. But, it does sound ridiculous. But Sam knows exactly who they're talking about. Brandon Stark. Yeah. And they all stop dead in their path, like in their conversation and turn to look towards him. And Ebros. The crippled boy. Yeah, and Ebros is like, do you know him? I let him through the wall years ago. I saw him go beyond the wall. And? Well, if he, a crippled boy survived for years beyond the wall when no one else could, not even the Night's Watch, not even the Wildlings, no one. Oh. Perhaps we ought to listen to what he has to say. Mm. And, oh man, that one maester doesn't believe him. That guy pisses me off. Their attitude, you know, like like we talk about. They're so pompous. Yeah, holier-than-thou type Close, thing. And it's like close-minded. Ebros is like, I can tell you want to say more, Samuel. <laughs> you have an idea, and this is Sam's chance. And he's like, listen, everybody like will believe you guys if you just tell them that the threat is real and that they need to send people north to to help the Night's Watch fend off the threat. And li- like, dude, you guys have this entire library. You could tell everybody to to just search every word of every faded scroll and book and text and Raven, people will you know, believe you. Yeah, and maybe you'll be able to find something that, that helps us defeat the army of the dead for good. But yeah, the people will believe you. And Ebros is like, yeah, we could do it. And this awesome. news could be true. But it's also possible that this is some type of conspiracy, a ploy by the Dragon Queen to lure the southern like, armies what? north. I mean, that is so like, strange. it is uh, a, a viable thought, but it's out of nowhere. There's no evidence to support that. There's actually evidence to support what, you know, the claim is here. I mean, just the fact that Sam knew this fucking random information about some crippled boy in a three-eyed raven, you know, that's some pretty damn good evidence <laughs> yeah. that that's believable. You know what I mean? Um, like he didn't have access to that raven to have any, you know, knowledge that this would be sent or anything like that. Like pretty believable so uh it's like too too similar like too crazy to be a coincidence you know and uh i mean so of course all the maesters are going to believe this idea that it could be a dragon queen plot that seems way more believable than magic birds talking to cripples as (laughs) that one maester says right (laughs) and uh sam's like please it's real you have to believe me i've seen it you know and uh at least Ebros decides to write a letter to, to Maester Wolken for clarification and promises that they'll get to the truth of it one way or another, although that's nowhere near enough and time is of the essence. And uh, this is when I was thinking of the Citadel being a microcosm of Westeros as all the Southern Lords are fucking around and paying no mind to the threat from the North, like poo-pooing it even when they're told yeah. about it. 
so they go on and they're talking about that will be all Tarly. They dismiss him. And then as, as they're leaving, as he's leaving, they're talking about how it's remindful of the work of Jenny of old stones. Who's a kind of like a, a minor, but significant book character. She was the wife of Duncan Targaryen, the Prince of Dragonflies. And there are a whole bunch of songs written about her, including one called Jenny's Song, which the ghost of High Heart always wants to hear when people visit her. Her story is pretty interesting. Reading from a wiki of Ice and Fire, Prince Duncan Targaryen loved Jenny so much he married her against his father's wishes, breaking his betrothal to the daughter of Lord Lionel Baratheon. King Aegon tried to have the marriage undone, but Duncan refused to give her up, ultimately giving up his rights to the throne for her. Oh, damn. She was friends with a woods witch whom Jenny brought to court with her and who prophesied that the prince that was promised would be born from the line of Prince Ares and Princess Rhaella. When King Jaehaerys II heard the prophecy, he arranged the marriage between his two children. So, kind of a pivotal figure. Rhaegar's whole belief system is kind of based off of everything that Jenny's Woods Witch um, prophesied. So, pretty interesting stuff. And um, we learn here that they have word that Sam's father and brother were roasted by Daenerys. Whew! Damn. And and Ebros just hasn't had the heart to tell him yet. <laughs> He's a good lad. Sucks. I, I mean, I think Samwell will be disappointed about Dickon or Dickon, <laughs> but I don't think he'll be like too bummed out necessarily about Randall. Yeah. Be interesting how he feels about Danny after that, though. You know, it's still his family. Yeah, true. Definitely. I mean, he knows what a fuck up his father is, though, so he'll probably assume that his dad, like, did, did something. something stupid. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know. Um, so. Are we going to take a dragon to Dragonstone? <laughs> yeah, totally. Barris and Tyrion, a great little yes. duo. So people were saying, remember how last episode or a couple episodes ago, Danny had said, if you ever have a problem with something I'm doing, say it to my face instead of like going behind my back, basically. He kind of has a problem with what he's, what she's doing with the burning people alive. Yeah. And he's kind of talking to Tyrion behind Danny's back, but I don't, he's talking with another one of Danny's advisors. I think it's to the point yet. I wouldn't consider this necessarily going behind Danny's back. No, no, Um, I don't think that at all. It's like right on the border, you know, he's talking to Tyrion and he hasn't, you know, taken up his grievance directly with Danny yet, but I, I, I don't think it's to the point yet. Where he feels it's necessary to, to take be fair, action. She necessarily. gave them a choice. She did, and I mean, I think, I think, really, what Varys is, Var- the problem that Varys is having in this moment is that he's having post-traumatic stress from basically his the experiences that he had during the reign of the Mad King. He heard that these people got roasted, and it's making him think about all of these times where he was sitting there watching people beg for mercy, being roasted. Not the one doing it. Hearing the pitch of their voices as it's screaming. I'm not the one doing it. Smelling the burning hair and the, and the roasting flesh as it filled the throne room. I'm not the one doing it. Exactly. So Varys is having PTSD here. We, it's, this is, is this the first time we've seen Varys drink? Yeah, I think so. Like because he's, he doesn't not only seem is to he like drinking, it very much. <laughs> yeah, and he's gulping it. Like he is guzzling that down. Like he's having a post-traumatic stress episode here. Um, no question about it from my perspective. So I think this is less of him like conspiring behind Danny's back and more of 
talking to another counselor essentially essentially and before it got to, gets to the point where he needs and to giving talk to Tyrion some it. advice when he's saying like don't make excuses we need to we need to rein her in a little bit yeah cause i'm just saying because i know we've had listeners who have said like oh pay attention in a couple episodes he's going to be doing exactly what she tells him not to do i'm just not quite sure it goes quite that far not you know yet I, mean? I think he would yeah. also maybe say it to her face too because he's confiding yeah. in Tyrion. yeah and it's not like he's conspiring with an enemy force be- instead of reconciling and it's being open okay with to Danny. disagree with her decisions yeah and he's talking with like 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 i said her hand it's not like he's conspiring with an enemy force or something sure he's not Danny like talking is essentially, to Cersei about it yeah he's talking to Tyrion, which means that Danny will know everything that Varys says you know what i mean sure so it's not like he's like talking with someone who's gonna be keeping secrets from Danny or something like that and so Tyrion tries to kind of console him you know Danny's not her father and Varys agrees, but she needs right. to have the right counsel. We need to find a way to make her listen. Yep. And I think this is important, too, because it shows that he hasn't given up on her. He's not working against her. He's just trying to He's saying, you know, we have to temper her. We have to be. She can't go make like sure killing that she stays off the great the, houses of Westeros. <laughs> yeah. We have to make sure she stays on like, you know, a pretty positive path. Who's that for? <laughs> Uh, oh yeah he's got a little scroll down he's in his tapping, hand that he's been he's kind of playing it. around with <laughs> yeah yeah it's for Jon Snow did you read it <laughs> it's a sealed scroll for the king in the north in other words of course I read yeah. it <laughs> what does it say <laughs> and Tyrion's Tyr- yeah, kind of quiet for a second and then <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing good. good as if Varys already wasn't stressed out enough with the whole toasted Tarleys situation and everything and like worried about Danny toasted you know Tarleys. falling into the yeah falling into the like baser desires of Targaryen depravity you know what I mean um now he's got this whole thing to worry about as well. <laughs> the army of the undead riding from the north with the Night King and fucking giants and shit. Yeah. So goddamn, Varys is stressed. And that's when it cuts to uh, John receiving the letter and learning that Arya and Bran are alive and everything like that. And next, I think we're back at Winterfell, right? Mm-hmm. And we're in the Great Hall. and Yeah. Arya is approaching just in time to enter the room to hear people talking shit about John. Complaining about John. Yeah, and and she's nervous that Sansa's gonna like throw John under the bus here and usurp his power because this is her chance. They're like, we should have chosen you as our leader, right? But she doesn't really. She says, you know, you're you're very kind, but he's doing what he thinks is best. Yeah, she totally has John's back. So while she doesn't defend him the way Arya wants. She also is she's doing her so duty as the Lady of Winterfell. Firm. She's listening to their complaints and mm-hmm. not necessarily defending her brother, but... But firm in asserting that he is the king, you and know? He's, and, like, and he's doing what he thinks is best. That's the yeah. most important thing. It's not like he's going behind your backs to conspire against you. He thinks mm-hmm. this is the right thing to do for our dire situation. Yeah, and this this is interesting too. It's good that she did she did what she did and said what she said. I thought and she I agreed with her. Arya afterwards. Yeah, too. <laughs> and I, I liked her um, her logic with Arya when she explains it. But in this moment, um, when Arya is nervous about Sansa potentially usurping pow- John's power and and going behind his back with the Northern Lords here, this 
reminded me, it, it sort of made me think of paralleling Alistair Thorne. Because John leaves Castle Black to go to Hardhome to get the, to save as many wildlings as possible, right? And Alistair flirts with not letting them through the wall when John gets back. And Alistair has to make, Alistair has to make that choice. Do I let him in with the wildlings or do I, do I do what I think is right for, for the North, for the kingdoms and let him like leave them out there and usurp power for myself or attempt to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is sort of the same decision that Sansa has to make here. She's John has left Winterfell instead of going to hard home, he's gone to Dragonstone and he's going to be coming back with a different crew of people again (laughs) with some dragons and shit. But this is her chance to basically lock the door and not let him back through the wall. You know what I mean? She has the opportunity to take his armies from him and stuff here if she wanted to. Aside from the wildlings who would not, you know, be happy about this at all either. But uh, I just thought it was interesting. You know, at first also, Alistair lets him back in. At first, Alistair doesn't betray John. It's not until later when they stab John in the heart. So at first here, when given the opportunity, Sansa does not betray John and she lets him back in essentially by sticking to her guns here. But that doesn't mean that it's out of the cards in the future for Sansa to betray John. So, which is something else I'm kind of worried about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just this sort of parallel with Alistair and the option to usurp authority when John is absent, uh, just kind of makes me nervous about it a little bit. Yeah. There's so much uncertainty moving into season eight. It's incredible. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so then we go to the halls and this is my point is they're talking about the shit in the hallway out in the open, out in the open, you know, and Sansa's like, I told John that this was going to happen. He can't just leave the North and expect us, expect these hard ass motherfuckers sitting around like twiddling (laughs) their thumbs, waiting like ghosts, like they're like his pets. Yeah. And, you know, Arya's like, well, he didn't. He trusted you to hold it for him. And she goes, it's not easy. These guys are proud. And they enter the chambers of their mother and father and they don't close the door. Don't close the door. They don't close the door. Arya is all pissed off. She's like, these are mother and father's chambers. And? (laughs) Right. And I was kind of surprised here. I mean, like before they were Ned's chambers, they were rickard stark's chambers as well too you know what i mean like people die and their children inherit these chambers this should be expected yeah it's like i'm the lady of winterfell like this is where i'm need to be and considering that these two have a past like a history where they're sort of been at each other's throats to some degree it's it's believable that this is a a thought line that Arya could be on that she's you know mad about this type of stuff but at the same time it could be that they have the door open they're playing up a divide to try to encourage Littlefinger to exaggerate it and play his hand so that they can bust him you know (laughs) exactly it's it's showing tension where I don't think there is naturally tension between the two of them yeah Although it's it, the the it projection might of tension Arya out a little bit, you know, it's like oh, sure, you know, I don't think I'd really want to like the, stay in my mom and dad's room either, right? And whether or not their tension is there, the the tension that they project is certainly believable. Sure, exactly, definitely. And so you know, Arya's like, oh, nothing, you know, and Sansa's like, just say what you mean. 
Yeah, I liked that. That she she seems to she's encouraging Arya to be open and truthful and say what she means. And uh, it's better than bottling it up. You've always liked nice things. It made you feel better than everyone. <laughs> you know, and this, Are this you angry I think, with me? <laughs> I think this is definitely where they start playing with someone's likely lurking. And this adds a little bit of tension. Like Arya mm-hmm. seems a little disgusted with liking nice things. And you know, now feeling- Sansa's got power and like, maybe that's all she ever wanted. Exactly. And knowing that Ar- that Arya thinks Sansa is driven for power, driven by power, the letter that Littlefinger reveals that she had written from King's Landing makes her seem like she had betrayed the family in favor of King and power any all as well too. So if he did hear this conversation or had someone hear it, it makes sense that knowing what he knows about the way that Arya seems to perceive Sansa, that he would try to find this letter. Sure. Exactly. Cause wasn't he there when she was writing it? Little thing. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so that's how he knows it exists. Yes. Yeah. He was standing to the left like of next Cersei. To Cersei. Yeah. yeah. It was Varys, Cersei and Littlefinger. Very interesting. Yeah. And so Arya, I think, starts playing up to, you know, a way that they can have tension with each other. But I think this is all a game to throw Littlefinger off because, you know, they were insulting John. You know, why didn't you do anything, basically? And Mm. Sansa's like, I'm the Lady of Winterfell. I have to listen to these people's complaints. It's my responsibility. And their opinions are important to you, she says. Well, you know, it's John's army, essentially. Like, if we piss him off, John loses his army. And I thought this was important because Arya wasn't there to get Winterfell back. You know, she didn't see it. She didn't know the dynamics of the situation that led to it. Sansa's like, listen, Winterfell didn't just fall back into our hands. We had to take it. The Mormonts helped. The Hornwoods helped. The Wildlings helped. The Vale helped. We all worked together. So it's important, I think, that she imparts to Arya how much they owe to all these people that helped them get their ancestral home back. They can't just blow them off. Exactly. And and so Arya's like, well, what if he doesn't come back? You'll need their support so you can work together to give you what you really want. Yeah, she's like, that's what you really want, isn't it, too, for John to not come back? I know you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it right now. And the thought just won't go away. (laughs) And Arya. Sansa's like, like, how can you even think such a horrible thing? (laughs) And Sansa's like, God damn it. I have work to do. I got to go. And she's my lady. And my lady. (laughs) So snarky. That dynamic was totally staged staged because the doors open. Like, why not close the door? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it makes sense because they lure lure, uh, Littlefinger into their trap and, you know, they execute him to get him out of the play. I think out of the um, off the playboard. I think they were just like trying to rile him up and ma- have him make a move so that they could bust exactly. him. Exactly. Catch him doing something dirty. Well, you know? maybe some of these feelings might be true feelings. Mm-hmm. They probably talked about this and got over it already. Exactly. And made, a, made amends. And then they're like, well, these dynamics that we were feeling, we can use these to, to flesh to out play. a little finger. Right. Because we see things like we don't see some of the conversations like Bran doesn't. We don't see the conversation where Bran tells them about what Littlefinger had said to Ned and what he had done. 
yet we know it happened based on the way that things unfold, right? So we don't necessarily see everything that's going on. We're seeing the game that they're playing, but we're not seeing the preparation that they've made the for behind it. the scenes, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the next note that I have is back on the King's Landing beach. Yes. With Davos and Tyrion. Yeah. And Tyrion is um, having some PTSD. Now it's his turn. As they awesome, arrive, I was here. I killed my father with a crossbow. Yeah, as they arrive to King's Landing, and uh, Davos responds hor- horribly, like horrifically. Uh, last time I was here, you killed my son with wildfire, mm. and Tyrion. Tyrion looks shocked. Like, I don't. I don't know if Tyrion actually knew that. I don't think he it did. Seems, yeah, it seems like he was surprised by the specifics of this revelation. Like and. Surprisingly, Davos doesn't seem to be like holding it too hard against Tyrion either. Well, because it wasn't like Tyrion went out on the battlefield and sucked his son out to like murder him. It was right. I mean, it was war. Plus, and his his son was like pretty brainwashed by the by the Red Woman. Like he maybe Davos thought it, there was like some type of inevitability towards it. Yeah. Um, like to it, you know, I don't know. So Davos tells Tyrion kind of like where to go, how to get up there. And says he's got his own business in Flea Bottom. Yep. And what if someone takes the boat? Well, then we're (laughs) fucked. Best hurry. (laughs) He is a little bit testy with him here, like a little short with him. So probably reflecting that he's probably hard. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know, right after talking about his son and everything. So I think there is a, like an element of, of not like being a hundred percent cool, but they, they've, they're getting along really well despite their past. So then Hugh, Braun and Jamie going down into the dungeons and, yep. um, gotta, gotta practice, man. You gotta spar, you gotta train. Yeah. There's all this shit going on, but you know, what do you like? You're planning on fighting Dothraki 12 year olds. You got to make sure you're on point. <laughs> yeah. So why down here? Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I don't think you want people to see you fighting because you fucking yeah. suck. So. Yeah, duh. Oh, man, how cool is it seeing all these different dragon skulls everywhere down there? Oh, yeah, they're all different sizes. Everywhere. It's so, so cool. crazy. Um, so <laughs> Jamie's like, maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i just going to kill you. How about that? And yeah, Ron's today like, might I don't be think you're going to be swinging at me. And then Q-Tyrion. Oh, my God. And Jamie just stops dead in his tracks. It's like, I, you know, shock, anger, disbelief. Yep. Like, what Looks are you Looks at Bronn like, what the fuck? Like, and Bronn's like, I'll leave you two. I'm going to go I'll leave you two to talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> and Tyrion wastes no time. He's like, I needed to see you. And I knew you'd never agree to meet. You made me, I love it. He says he, he made him look like a total fool and he thought he would surprise him by hitting Casterly Rock, but he was ahead of him. Because he's he, unsentimental. Father would be super proud. Yeah. You abandoned the family home. Completely unsentimental. Father would be proud. Don't I was like, talk about oh my father. That's uh, hilarious. Like, so true though. Tywin would have been proud. And Tyrion's like, dude, listen. And Jamie's like, I told Bronn once that if I ever saw you again, I'd cut you in half. But that was before he didn't know that for sure that Tyrion didn't kill Joffrey. Exactly. You know, so I think he's been become slightly more sympathetic to Tyrion since learning that he's been railroaded for a murder that he didn't commit. 
And, you know, Tyrion's like, well, you don't have a real sword, so it's going to take you a while to do that. (laughs) Be like Theon trying to cut off Roderick's head. But, like, look at me, Jamie. Like, dad was going to execute me. Like, I really didn't have a choice in this matter. Like, yeah, super powerful monologue. He's like, he didn't hate me for anything I did. He knew I was innocent. He just hated me because I'm a dwarf, the little monster who was sent to punish him, punish him. And Jamie is just like overwhelmed. This is like more than he can handle. He's just like, what do you Don't, want? Yeah, you know? like, get, like, let's move on. And yeah, Tyrion like I can't handle this. throws the ball at him. You know, Danny's going to win this war. You, yeah. you're a military guy. You You have to know that this is not something that you can walk out of. You know this to be true. (laughs) Yeah. You know, she wants to suspend hostilities if Cersei agrees to certain terms. She's even willing to suspend hostilities. Like, that's fucking crazy. She could just come in here and roast you. But she is willing to not do it. Because she's not her dad. Right. And I think Jamie's kind of surprised by and this. Jamie's like, if you want to ask Cersei to bend the knee, like, go for it, dude. And right. goes, no, I don't actually. Not right away. Anyway. More, we have a more important request. That's amazing. And Jamie's like, what, what, what? Yeah, exactly. He looks so surprised. Totally. Yeah. So then actually my next note is in Cersei's quarters. All right. So Cersei says to Kyburn that it won't be necessary. And I think he's checking on her because Cersei's pregnant. Uh, yes, definitely. She's probably definitely. not feeling very probably well. Did, yeah, she probably got like morning sickness. Oh my or something God. Like that. I had the worst morning sickness. I lost like 12 pounds because I couldn't keep any, Damn. I couldn't even keep water down. They had to put me on special medication. So like I would stop losing weight. <laughs> Brutal. It was that horrible. Sucks. Like I couldn't leave my house. I had to, I had to present, I remember this, I had to present a presentation over the phone and I was literally having to put myself on mute and vomiting in a trash can. Oh my God. Yeah. It was horrible because no one knew I was pregnant yet. Like it was too early to tell my, my employer. It was, it was seriously the worst fucking day of my life. I'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry. One second. I'd like put myself on mute and I'd like puke and I would like have to continue presenting. Oh <laughs> I was God. laying on the floor. I'm just amazed that you were able to point. do that. <laughs> I had no choice. That's crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Damn. So Kyburn walks by cause he knows Cersei's pregnant and he looks at Jamie and he goes, sir, Jamie, like, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Kyburn, right when Jamie walks in, Kyburn says, I could give you something. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not in the, it wasn't in the script, but it was in the subtitles. Yeah. And on Make Apio her feel goes, better. I wrote it down. Morning yeah. sickness. It's not morning. It's all day and all night. Yeah. yeah just sickness. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Jamie's like, why was Kyburn here? And I think that's important. They're just like make, making the viewer take note that there's like something going on mm-hmm. here. You know? And we do find out later what the reason is yeah. when she reveals it to him. Well, he is kind of the queen. What are you doing <laughs> <Yeah>. here? <laughs> Yeah, snarky, fucking bitch, man. And he, like, right out with it, like, totally honest. I met with Tyrion, and holy shit, she knew the whole time. Of course she does. She has Kyburn's little birds. Yeah, and she's like, are you going to punish him? Tyrion? Bronn. Bron. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, stay the way from Bronn, Cersei. Stay away from Bronn. <laughs> He's off limits for you. Don't touch him, motherfucker. Yeah. Leave my Bronn alone. Like that guy is like, leave Brittany alone. Leave Brittany alone. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Please. 
Chris something rather like oh yeah he yeah was on what's Tosh his last name Chris Crocker so Jamie says to Cersei that Danny wants to meet and Cersei assumes that it's a surrender and Jamie's yeah. like no yeah. it's a truce and she's like yeah, she just like, won a what? huge battle like what the fuck well, she claims that an army of dead men are marching on the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> Tyrion claims he'll have proof, and she's like, are you fucking stupid? Yeah, she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So then we get to the, you know, that she knows about Bronn, and, yeah. you know. He betrayed you. He set up a meeting without your knowledge or like, consent. God damn. Do you think anything of importance happens in this city without me knowing? I love how Jamie just shakes his head, like. Yeah, you let it happen. Why? Like, of course. <laughs> Well, Cersei has finally come to grips with reality that yeah. maybe a truce with the Dragon Queen could be in their immediate interest. Yeah, she has the numbers. If they, have to, if they want to be her, they got to be clever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. So then this is where we discover that Cersei is pregnant. She drops a bomb on him. Yeah, because so, she holds dragons her stomach. And dragon you know? Yeah, whatever stands in our way, we'll defeat it ourselves for a house. For this. Who's the father? <laughs> Good question. It could be fucking anybody. You? Especially if you've read the books. Like, it could be Oh, anybody. really? Is she kind <laughs> Just, of a whore in the books? Oh, my God. The, the, she's ha She has sex with Osmond, and, like, she has sex with both of the Kettleblack brothers, who oh, she has, damn. like, guarding her. She makes them, like, Kingsguard. Oh she God. has... She fucked Lancel. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, she... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think... That was before he was kind of good looking too. Yeah, he J Tyrion totally tells Jamie that he's she's been fucking Lancel, Osmond, Kettleblack, even like probably even Moonboy, who's like the Tyrell's fool. Like or a fool, like that. yeah, that's yeah. right. Who would you say is the father? You. And this is Jamie's chance to be a father. It's something he's always wanted to do, but he couldn't do before to his own children. He could never be the father like that. that he wanted to be. She goes, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm the fucking queen. And she goes, do you remember, do you remember what, what father used to say, to say about, about, about people? The lion doesn't the concern lion doesn't himself with the opinions of the sheep. of the sheep. And they hug, they embrace in like this really happy, beautiful moment where... Jamie's like, oh my god, I'm gonna be a father and we're gonna be together publicly. And she ruins this beautiful moment between the two of them. Never betray me again. Never betray me again. And I'm thinking, like, this reminds me of, it, I think it's another Godfather homage where, where, um, Michael Corleone tells Fredo, don't ever take sides against the family again. Fredo. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. You know, combined with the other scene where he, like, kisses him and, like, holds him, like, and he's like, I knew it was you. You broke my heart. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour. Don't make a big thing about it. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Yeah, I think it's like oh, two damn. of the, both of those scenes combined here where they're embracing and she's like, don't ever take sides against the family again. You know, don't never betray me again. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so this made me think of a few episodes ago when Jamie was like, 
when no when Cersei was like, "Are you afraid of me?" And Jamie was like, Why should, should I, be? I be? Yeah, should I be? And basically she just told you, yes, you should be afraid of her. Don't betray her or she'll kill you. Basically. That's what the second yeah. half of that sentence is. So it's like Jamie looks, Jamie like kind of like is taken aback by nervous. that during the hug. Yeah. It's like he kind of like realizes now that like, yeah, you should be afraid, you know? And he's got to have just all these things popping through his head, like Olena saying she'll be the end, the death of you and all these people just, you know, like pointing out negative things about, about Cersei, like, um, Tyrell, et cetera, too. I mean, not Tyrell, um, Randall Tarly too. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, um, my next note is saying farewell to the king in the north yeah oh man and jorah yeah it's there's actually a really great moment between Tyrion and jorah here they have all the reason at least jorah has all the reason in the world to be really mad at Tyrion for advising danny to to exile him for the second time after after jorah had you know helped him get back to danny <laughs> in the first place and i'm i'm sure that jorah felt kind of betrayed by Tyrion who he had developed kind of a positive rapport with um, at that point, you know? Yeah. So, you know, Tyrion says, I've missed you, Mormont. You may not believe it, but no one glowers <laughs> like you too. Yeah. No one glowers quite like you. Now, not even Grey Worm. <laughs> and he does glower quite, quite and well. And he hands Jorah the coin that the slaver gave him. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Coin. And it's supposed, it, Jorah even says it was supposed to last us the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Take it and with t- you, but bring it back. And that's the plan. Tyrion does seem like he's keeping it with him. He's planning on making that coin last the rest of his life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a lucky charm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, he gives it to Jorah. I thought it was a really nice gesture. Mm-hmm. But you um, need to bring it back. We need right, you. Like, yeah, we need you. Your, our queen needs you. And I, I thought it was it was a powerful gesture on the point of port on the part of Tyrion because it, it said, like, yes, I advised for her to send you away, but I haven't I forgotten. Do, I do see value in you, and I'm yeah. glad that you're back now. Yeah. I feel like it was like I'm glad to, glad that you're back. You know, and he said like I've missed you. So it was is his way of apologizing. Then Danny kind of shows up and she looks at Jorah and she's like, we should be really good at saying goodbye to each other. <laughs> but it's never any it's easier. It's never easy. Oh. And she oh, grabs so his hands sad. and touches his hands. That again is a powerful gesture considering he had grayscale, right? Yeah, and he bends he bends down and kisses her hand and right right behind them John appears and walks up to them and he's like, "Uh, <laughs> I'm going to walk he, away now. Yeah. He was going to continue the conversation, but he realized that he should just, you know, John trying to be funny, he, you know, well, if I don't <laughs> return, you don't have to deal with the King of the North anymore. Yeah. I love her response too. She looks deeply into his eyes and she says, but I've grown used to him. <laughs> and oh man, I mean, right there, she's basically telling him like, I, I have you. feelings for you. Yeah, you know, like, you this is my the dragon. Moment. Yeah, yeah. You awoke, you woke my dragon. You know, <laughs> like Viserys would say, you don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Oh, she, damn. He awoke Danny's dragon. <laughs> brown chicken, brown chicken, brown dragon. Oh, I forgot to note when we were talking about John touching the dragon. Um, whoa, this, whoa, he this, hasn't touched the dragon yet. 
Oh, oh Drogon. Drogon. <laughs> well, speaking of touching the other dr- dragon. He, he just woke Danny's dragon right now. He hasn't actually gotten to touch it well, yet. Well, <laughs> the same music plays when John touches Drogon the dragon, <laughs> the dragon. and oh, Danny man. the dragon. <laughs> he actually, like, like Bruce Lee, he also enters the dragon. (laughs) (laughs) So John kind of nods as he says, I wish you good fortune and the wars to come your grace. Yes. They, they jump in the boat and go off to sea. (sighs) I love how we keep getting that line too. the, I wish you good fortune and the wars to come. Yeah, definitely. The last note that I really have here is the magnificent seven. One other thing first, real quick. Um, as as he floats out to see, Tyrion looks over and sees the way that Danny's looking at at John as he leaves, and knows that she loves him, and he just looks defeated a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Jorah obviously looks back and sees it too. <laughs> she has three solid men that like legitimately love her. Yeah, I mean four if you consider uh, Dario. Dario, yeah, yeah. So then Definitely. we get the and ranger. Well, <laughs> that's a little from different. From afar, though. yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we're up at the back at the East Watch to prepare us for the next episode. Oh, And yes. the ranger opens the gate and we get kind of a, it reminded me of like geese flying in a V form, like John oh, at the yeah, front yeah. and like his six totally. men behind him. The Mighty Ducks formation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's blizzarding outside and John yeah. looks back at the party and they all kind of glance at each other and Thoros is drunk as fuck. Yeah. And Gendry's next to Thoros now, even yeah. though they fucking sold him <laughs> to be murdered. Yeah. And they, they go off into the wild and, um, you know, they kind of disappear off into the blizzard and we get a great shot of that mighty ducks V going off yeah. into the wilderness. And so it's very good. foretelling of the next episode for sure. Very foretelling. That's oh, all I got. Man. That's yeah, it. And this, this reminded me, like I said, of the, of the pilot too. Yeah, that's it. That's all I got too. Nice. All right. We are moving along. We're almost done, huh? Two more episodes. <gasps> we are, we're almost done, Duncan. Yeah, so exciting. Cheers to you for all of your crazy editing the past like four or five months. <laughs> Cheers to you for putting up with the accelerated timeline. <laughs> hey, it's cool. I'm so glad I could be a part of this. It's pretty awesome. Would have been lesser thing without you. Oh, sure. thank you. <laughs> all right, stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. was that was that drogon no it was a white raven ah it's still pretty cool i guess the coolest (laughs) lady sarah of house larkham this episode was awesome Arya seeing Sansa not defending Jon to the Northern Lords, Sansa saying we had to convince the Northern Lords to fight against Ramsay and now we have to convince to keep them 
to convince them to keep them with us while John is away. Littlefinger plays a game with Arya with the scroll and that scroll that Sansa sent to Rob when Ned was imprisoned. Sansa is starting to use all the knowledge that Cersei taught her yes, she when she was in King's Landing. Tyrion feels unheard when he tries to convince Daenerys, but fails when he tells her to send Randall and Dickon to the wall instead of burning them alive. Jamie is starting to doubt Cersei when she warns him not to betray her again. I think so too. I think yep. the cracks are forming in Jamie's affection for Cersei as totally. she relentlessly demeans him and um, everybody else around him speaks negatively of her. <laughs> I think so. Definitely. Thank you for writing in, Lady Sarah. Yes, indeed. Sir Matthew of House Rep. It was awesome to see Gendry again. Davos says. Yes. What we've all been thinking when he jokes about his rowing. Definitely meta commentary there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So good. (laughs) He certainly knows his way around hammers. Oh, yeah. Kyburn offers to give Cersei something. Could it be moon tea? Mm, I don't think she would be trying to terminate the pregnancy. I think she'd be trying to just soothe um, her symptoms. Yeah, because I think she's excited to tell Jamie that she's pregnant again. Yeah, maybe like a... Maybe like a ginger root drink or something, you know, something with like to soothe her stomach. Yeah. She told Kyburn about her pregnancy before Jamie. Well, I think probably what happened is she probably missed a couple periods and. Yeah. Kyburn would have like diagnosed it. Yeah. Is that the right word? Yeah. So she probably wasn't. Sh- she probably didn't want to tell Jamie until she was sure. Yeah. Varys is not pleased with Danny's decision of making skills thus far. Drogon seems to take a liking to John. In the same episode, we learn that Rhaegar divorces his first wife in favor of Lyanna, making John ahead of Danny in the line of succession. Damn. Oh, yeah. boom. Crazy. Nice. So intense. Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Varys manipulates Tyrion. What else is new? The spider has a Dahmer or Bundy-like charm that allows him to get away with all kinds of ridiculously shady shit. Not only does he bamboozle the realm, but the audience as well. He literally breaks faith with Daenerys in front of millions of viewers, and only me, Leslie Jones, and one guy on Reddit suspect him at all. The mummer from Essos gives a brilliant performance of acting disturbed by Danny's behavior. <laughs> The stuff Varys is pressuring Tyrion to bring up with Danny causes tension between them in the very next episode. John banished Mel for burning a child. Now he's petting Drogon's muzzle. Maybe children are safe now because they're not big enough for the dragons to consider. Randall Tarly. The misunderstood badass. There are no easy decisions in the war. He sent Sam to the wall with a heavy heart. He wanted to flog the stragglers in the last episode. Seemed like a total dick, but it would have saved a lot of lives if Jamie had allowed it. He also castrates soldiers who commit rape. The only soldiers Danny brought to Westeros who are unlikely to rape have already been gelded. (laughs) Sam doesn't know his father is dead, yet somehow the mantle of outspoken displeasure has been passed down to his shoulders. Gilly is unfazed, however. She's like, bitch, I had Craster as a dad. You ain't scary. (laughs) If there's still a realm left after season eight, I think Gilly should be named Warden of the West and heir to Highgarden. 
Brand skin changes, a, number, a murder of ravens, a subtle clue that perhaps the Night King is skin changing all those corpses. The ravens fly over to Eastwatch and then head directly north until they see the Night King standing on the exact spot where Snotion's Seven make their epic stand in Beyond the Wall. This hints that perhaps the Night King was awaiting was waiting for his dragon to be delivered. It also confirms that the frozen lake battle, quote-unquote, actually occurs at Hardhome in Ocean Inlet. In the extras for this episode, Dan or Dave says John and Gendry have a lot in common. They're both bastards. In a couple of episodes, it's revealed that John is not a bastard. This is significant because it shows that the showrunners will straight up lie to your face in order to maintain the mystery. Arya finds the note with no trouble, thanks to her old sheep-shifting days. <laughs> yeah, just like you said, Rachel. Baelish knew to hide it there because his spies heard Sansa tell Tyrion about sheep-shifting while strolling through the royal garden in season three. The way the maesters scoff at the Lodos prophecy makes me think it has to come true in some form in season eight. Will Euron summon a kraken or sea dragon to pull Egg John out of the sky? Ooh, I guess we'll have to stay tuned to find out. Thank you for writing, Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Thank you for writing in. We love all yeah. of your feedback. Yeah, always great to hear from you guys. All right, that's our show, episode 107. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, guys. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy for from the Emmy from the Emmy nominated. <laughs> that's a little bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. From the Emmy nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash GOM podcast or patreon.com slash GOM podcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gamamicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Lord Jeremiah of House Carpenter, and Luke the Low Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. And another thank you to Lord Bryson of House Wolf. Big thank you to you as well. Yes, thank you guys so much. You're awesome to do that. Definitely. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky. Hi, Romancer. She has been mm-hmm. super clutch behind the scenes working <laughs> to get our website, gameofmicrophones.com, up and running. She's also an incredibly skilled artist. You need to check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon.com. It's Prime eligible, too. And honestly, it's one of my son's favorite books. He's still takes it out every night. I love that he enjoys it so much. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to teach your children about, you know, people that they see in their life that may look different or unique from them and how to how to deal with that situation. Yeah, diversity and tolerance. Yes, it's it's really a great her descriptions of 
of the people um, in her books are just really easy for young children to understand, and her illustrations are just so realistic. It's amazing. It also provides a really easy way to describe to your child like what it is that they're looking at or seeing for the first time. Mm. And so when they go to see these people in public, they won't, you know, be nervous or afraid and just be accepting. And I think it's really wonderful. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. You can check all of her workouts at fineartsbylisa.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook slash fineartsbylisa. Next episode, we'll be covering season seven, episode six, Beyond the Wall. And we'll have a special guest, Sir Patrick of Hindsight, joining us Tin as well. <laughs> Give it a watch and send us your thoughts, guys. We'd love to read them on the air. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Dragon tail slap. Whoa! <laughs> like he did with the bushes. <laughs> yeah, that part was awesome. And like he did with the uh, ballista last episode, the <laughs> yeah. scorpion, he smashed it. Nice. <laughs> you can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. If I don't return, at least you won't have to deal with the king in the north anymore. But I've grown used to him. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come, your grace. Ouch. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> Gendry is so gangster. I know. Gendry! What up, Gendry? Right? He's back. They wouldn't recognize me. Sometimes I hardly do. Yeah, right. Look in the mirror. Don't even recognize yourself. <laughs> Nothing fucks you harder than time. <laughs> Classic. Oh, Classic. damn. And so he just basically tosses his tools off to the side. He takes his apron off and he picks up like a man bag, a satchel. <laughs> <laughs> a merce. I loved how he was so ready to go just like right off the bat too. it. It, it, it was sort of, uh, it felt like, like a sort of meta, um, meta enthusiasm. Whereas like the actor who plays Gendry, you know, he was, he was on the show for season two, then like a little bit of season three, maybe. And then he's gone for all these years. And now it, when things are getting really crazy, he gets the opportunity to come back on the show you know, so the actor's just sitting there on ice, knowing that He's his like, character's out there. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm ready to go. Let's I'm ready. Do this. Yeah. And then next episode, when they make him run all that distance, I feel oh, like damn. that's like like hazing. Like, oh, we 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 shot this show 200 days a year for years leading up to this point. We we earned it. You you want to join the crew now? At this point, late in the game, you're gonna run. We're you you're know, gonna, we're gonna make you earn your spot on the team. 
<laughs> yeah, that's so great. I love that. Yeah. Gendry, you know, lays his hammer into the boat. And, yes. And Davos that thing is, is monstrous, too. Oh, it's like, so fucking big. It's huge. huge. So Davos is instructing him, you know, you need to keep quiet about being Robert Baratheon's dad. <laughs> or, or dad, uh, son. Ew, they like smell it and they taste it in their face. It's like, oh my God, this is fucking so gross. gross. And so to get them oh. to go away, he's like, I'd hurry along. Go to your favorite establishment. Have a good time. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll put a hole through that chain mail. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so bad. Uh, hilarious. And as they're talking in the background, you can see oh, Gendry yes. like creeping up <laughs> with a fucking hammer cocked. Oh my and then god. Boom. <laughs> Crack. Tyrion didn't kill Joffrey. He had nothing to do with it. And Cersei just After like all this time it yeah, so amazes me. She doesn't she like has no idea. And Jamie just like cuts her right off, just like it was Olena. She confessed. Cersei still doesn't believe it. She's Everything that she believes that they have a chance in the war, that that Tyrion killed Joffrey, she lives in a giant delusion, you know. And totally. uh, sorry, I'm yawning. No, uh, right. Yeah. Oops. Sorry, my chair's squeaking. That's right. Yeah, it just <laughs> makes me nervous. You know, I know Cersei has told you ridiculous propaganda about me that I'm here to burn down your homes, murder and orphan your children. But that's Cersei. That's not me. It's kind of hard to believe, though, <laughs> after what they all just witnessed. You know what I mean? It, yeah, like, it pans around true. the devastation and she's like, I'm not here to destroy that your houses and everything around them is just like destroyed and destroyed. massacred. If she uses those dragons, really, really uses use them. them. Yeah. Mm. God damn. You can't send me to the wall. You are not my queen. Fucking idiot. So Danny nods to her Dothraki and they pull Randall away and Dickon no. following stubbornly in his dad's footsteps. Oh, you know, you're going to have to kill me too. I like how she calls him Dickon. Dickon. <laughs> Dickon Tarly. Dickon. Dickon Tarly. Dickon. Mm-hmm. Well, she's about to be Dickon the Tarleys in a minute. She dicks their whole house. <laughs> Don't let it happen again. Bend the knee. Bend the knee. <laughs> Your grace, if you begin beheading entire families... I'm not beheading anyone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's like, <laughs> you have a fucking dragon behind you, Tyrion. Yeah. My guess is that she's not going to be beheading people. Oh, fuck. And then oh like, Tyrion looks over at Drogon and he's just like... <laughs> like, ready to fucking roll. They escort the, the Tarleys over to a nice little barbecue patch. <laughs> Dracaris. <laughs> so casual. And uh, Danny's like, well, how would you even get into King's Landing? And everybody stops and looks over at Davos. <laughs> looks at Davos. <laughs> <laughs> we got a smuggler in the room. <laughs> Unite. Yeah. And he's like, I can smuggle you in. But if the gold cloaks were to recognize you, I'm warning you. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I'm not a fight. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I can't remember how he says it. Window counting and annulments. He even repeats it. Yeah. Bowel movements for all eternity while the secret to defeating the Night King is probably sitting on some dusty shelf somewhere completely ignored. And I'm like, dude, you literally just ignored a secret that may be important to defeating (laughs) the Night King. (laughs) 
have that note too. <laughs> he's talking about a, like a secret being ignored. Well, he's ignoring a secret. The secret that Jon Snow is Aegon Targaryen that oh, may be the, the key factor in uniting all of the southern armies together to ride north to be able to, to handle the Night King. This may be the thing that solidifies the southern army. And he's like, Serv Davos told me where you're going. Let me come with you. And uh, Davos is like, dude, what the fuck? I'm trying to save you. <laughs> you know, and you're, like, you're not going beyond the wall. He's like, now you're even more likely to die. <laughs> and uh, Davos is still trying to convince him not to, to go. He's like, as my father used to say, it's better to be a coward for a minute than to be dead for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Great it reminded quote. me of when he goes, don't mind me. I've just lived to a ripe old age. Yeah, that's like his next line, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is that is this episode. Oh, how yeah. funny. Yeah, she had like this big blonde beehive wig, like as tall as you could, like Marge Simpson tall. She has water balloons in her bra. <laughs> and she's in like six inch heels. She's stumbling down the street singing Jolene and all of a sudden she starts wigging out and I see this like bat wing across her face and she's falling and her her water balloons like fall out of her bra and they <laughs> splatter on the ground. I'm dressed up as Tinkerbell. It's like five degrees outside and I'm like in a leotard oh and God. I'm literally like rolling on the ground laughing like not even trying to help her. Uh, the bat finally got out of her wig and she's she was just a fucking hot Freaking mess out. she's like why didn't you help me and i'm like i didn't want to get rabies that's hilarious the adventures of tater salad and tater tot damn yeah you should write a book oh man <laughs> it would be way too long he has tricked aria in the scene to spy on him spying on her right how crazy is that um which causes causes you know Arya to find the the scroll do you think that she she doesn't know that he knows she's spying on him like do you think she's actually falling for this or do you think that she's playing into his game like she's spying on him spying on her spying on him yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> could very well be i think <laughs> i think Arya. <laughs> is very confident in her faceless man's skills, but she hasn't spent a lot of time around Baelish. So I'm not sure she really realizes what a, what a slime, slimy snake he is. And yeah. that's <laughs> hard for me to say, but it could be, it could be possible. My only big question to my own theory or this theory, I guess, I guess other people have picked up on it too, is other than pure survival of just not dying, how could he pop back into the show? Where would he fit in? Yeah, good question. Eight? Good question. I think it'd be awesome to get him back. <laughs> it'd be such a twist, like back. right at the end, like he like pops out and <laughs> does some Murder crazy shit. Murder Cersei. Yeah. Your brother and pushes Cersei off the red keep or something. <laughs> Tormund learns that John is planning on going north of the wall and he says to Davos, isn't it your job to talk him out of stupid fucking ideas like this? <laughs> yeah. I've been failing at that job of late. <laughs> How many men did you bring? 
And he looks at the table like this is it. <laughs> the big the woman. Big woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love John's reaction too. He smiles. He loves the way that Tormund loves yeah. Brand. He loves it. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. Good evening, Clarice. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that was creepy. <laughs> I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> Ew, stop it. <laughs> oh, I, I, I forgot to mention um, before when we were talking about, the, uh, the, sorry, the scroll. <laughs> That's total Rick and Morty style. I mean, we got we got to get, get the hell out of here and go take care of business. It's important. Come on, Morty. I don't know, Rick. Rick will be talking in mid-sentence. He'll just throw a big burp out and like, it can just continue talking. <laughs> oh, God. And that made me think that, like, after Jamie leaves King's Landing and bails on Cersei, we don't know what happens with Bronn. That's true. You know, like, so, um, please forgive him, Drogon. (laughs) Bronn, come and join Tyrion. And Drogon gets closer and brings his face right up to him. And he just slowly... Touches his face and Drogon's well, lip that, is whole. Did you like, see his teeth? Like yeah. he's baring his teeth at him, and he has like yeah. teeth like up in his gums. Like it's what extra are those? teeth coming down? Oh yeah, so cool, man! And, and like his whole oh lip God. is like moving up and down as as he's like, like growling at him. I, he's, I wouldn't say he's growling. It seemed more like purring to me. That's true. Yeah, you it know? could be that. Like with the dragon, it's like it's like. He sees its family. He recognizes, he smells that Targaryen blood. So John manages to touch him. And, and, and Danny has tried doing this so many times and had Drogon leave and fly away, even before she's able to touch him, like at the top of the pyramid at Marine. It's not always a guarantee that even Danny can touch, touch Drogon. You know what I mean? So having her most fearsome dragon, Drogon, be submitting Submissive. to, to John yeah. Snow. Yeah. And allowing him to touch his face. Drogon um, knows who the rightful king of the seven kingdoms is. <laughs> so uh, this is, I think this is another thing that Danny sees here that she's going to remember when she learns that John is truly Aegon Targaryen. There's the fact that John doesn't like what he's good at, which is killing, which reminded her of Rhaegar, I'm pretty sure, last episode. And then now there's the fact that the dragons are basically accepting John as family, like immediately. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I think these are two very significant things to Danny that are going to stick out when she learns the alleged truth of Jon Snow's true identity. And she's going to have these, a series of like a realization where all of these things that she's noticing are falling into place. And she realizes the truth of it. Yeah. Search your feelings, Daenerys. You know it to be true. I know. Somehow. I've always known. And you know why I have to face him. She looks no. so surprised and Drogon kind of, you know, finally John just like releases his hand off of Drogon and Drogon kind of turns and looks back at Danny like, yeah, get down from here and talk to this guy. Yeah. You need to talk to him. They're my children. <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting, too, like the way she says that. And John doesn't really know what to say to that. 
Like he doesn't, he doesn't really directly respond to her saying they're my children. So that made me wonder how much of the story does he know? Is he like in his mind, he's like, um, you're like, you, you birthed them (laughs) or does he know like that she hatched them in a fire, like in the pyre of Drogo? Like, what does he know? What does he not know? He knows nothing. I would probably think that he does not know that. We can default Jon Snow knows nothing. We'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Nice. I mean, so of course, all the maesters are going to believe this idea that it could be a dragon queen plot. That seems way more believable than magic birds talking to cripples, as (laughs) that one maester says, right? (laughs) The problem that Varys is having in this moment is that he's having post-traumatic stress from basically his, the experiences that he had during the reign of the Mad King. He heard that these people got roasted, and it's making him think about all of these times where he was sitting there watching people beg for mercy, being roasted. I'm not the one doing it. Hearing the pitch of their voices as it's screaming. I'm not the one doing it. Smelling the burning hair and the, and the roasting flesh as it filled the throne room. I'm not the one doing it. Exactly. So Varys is having PTSD here. Did you read it? <laughs> it's a sealed scroll for the king in the north. In other words, of course I read yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> what does it say? And Tyrion, yeah, Tyrion's kind of quiet for a second. And then <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing good. good. As if Varys already wasn't stressed out enough with the whole toasted Tarleys situation and everything and like worried about Danny, you know, falling Tarleys. into the, yeah, falling into the like baser desires of Targaryen depravity. You know what I mean? Um, now he's got this whole thing to worry about as well. <laughs> the army of the undead riding from the north with the Night King and fucking giants and shit. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, that's what you really want, isn't it, too, for John to not come back? I know you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it right now. And the thought just won't go away. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> you know? God. And Arya. And Sansa's, like, Sansa's like, how can you even think such a horrible thing? <laughs> and Sansa's like, God damn it. I have work to do. I got to go. And she's like, my lady. And my lady. <laughs> so snarky. So then Hugh, Braun, and Jamie going down into the dungeons. And yep. Um, got to gotta practice, man. You got to spar. You got to train. Yeah, there's all this shit going on. But you know, what are you like? You're planning on fighting Dothraki 12 year olds. You got to make sure you're on point. <laughs> yeah. So why down here? Well, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> I don't think you want people to see you fighting because you fucking yeah. suck. So, yeah, duh. You know, well, if I don't return, <laughs> you don't have to deal with the king of the north anymore. Yeah. I love her response, too. She looks deeply into his eyes and she says, but I've grown used to him. <laughs> and, oh, man, I mean, right there, she's basically telling him, like, I, I love have you. feelings for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you this is my dragon. Moment. Yeah, yeah. You, aw- you woke my dragon, you know? <laughs> Like Viserys would say, you don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Oh, <laughs> she, damn. woke Danny's dragon. <laughs> brown chicken, brown Brown chicken, brown dragon. Oh, I forgot to note when we were talking about John touching the dragon. Um, whoa, this, whoa. This, he hasn't touched the dragon yet. Oh, oh Drogon. <laughs> Well, speaking of touching the other dragon. He he just woke Danny's dragon right now. He hasn't actually gotten to touch it yet. Well, the same music plays when John touches 
Drogon the dragon, <laughs> the dragon. and oh, Danny man. the dragon. <laughs> he actually like like Bruce Lee. He also enters the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> 